Norman Chan. Hey, Will. Did you know that advertisers are why we can keep this is only a test free? Yes, I love the fact that this show is free. Hope you guys do too. I'm a big fan of that too. Um, but in order to get great advertisers on this is only a test, we need to know more about you guys, the audience. Yes. Yeah. So what we need you to do is go and t- fill out a quick five minute survey. You'll learn. We'll learn all about you. You'll learn a little bit more about us. Um, and if you entered your email address at the end of the survey, we're not going to use it to spam you or send you marketing crap. We're just going to send it to uh, use it to draw a name to give a hundred dollar gift card every month. For Amazon. Yeah, for Amazon. So it's podsurvey.com slash test. That's podsurvey.com slash T-E-S-T. It takes about five minutes. It helps us make the show better, and we would love it if you would fill that out for us. And it's anonymous. And it's anonymous. Uh, And I guess that'll do it. And on with the show. Hey, let's start the show. It's July 17th, 2015. Welcome to Zillion Test, the official podcast of tested.com. I'm Will Smith. We have a full house today, Norman Chan. Woo. Sorry, no podcast last week. We were at Comic-Con. To make it up, we got Patrick Norton. Patrick Norton's here. Thanks. Jeremy Williams is here. Woo. Thanks. And it's the 16th of July. It's the 17th of July. Well, today's 16th, and today is and Thursday. Thursday. I assume the podcast is going up on Thursday. Wow. Okay. You know what happened? This your is com- funny. Did your, com- your computer? No, no, no. I installed Fantastical 2 on my Mac at a, a fairly extensive cost a few weeks ago. And instead of having the date on the icon change every day, like the calendar app icon does, yeah. this one is just always May 17th. <laughs> is that true? Yeah. So, so I'm so, looking at it right now. All right. Patrick can see it. Only yeah, one day off. Like you didn't say something like July 22nd. I know. I could have. I was like, <laughs> I, I just glanced down and I'm completely flying blind over here. I was about to ask if it was a, f- you know, a financial or an emotional cost because some software installations are emotional costs, but this is obviously both. It was really expensive. <laughs> it, it was like twenty or thirty dollars. <gasps> twenty or thirty dollars. <laughs> $30 for a calendar app. Sorry, I, I paid $10 for an app recently, and I got the most amazing emails about how you know only fools pay for software, and, and what am I, an idiot? Your and audience is maybe a little more reactionary than ours. I don't know about that. You think? I, I think $30 for a calendar app that you it's that becomes a recurring cost as they release new software is maybe a little much. I think, so here's the thing. I would de- demand a dynamic icon at the very least. For at the very least. I bet that's a closed API that Apple doesn't give anybody else access to. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um... <laughs> I like Fantastic Cal 2 a lot, but it's beautiful. Now that I know this whole thing about the icon, and now now that the app's running, the icon updates. So it was only when the app wasn't running. I closed it so that I'd have no distractions for the podcast. That's horrible. And now it says July 16th. So it's it's July 16th, 2015. So does this qualify as a error with the product or an error with the user? It's almost it's always human error. <laughs> that's that's the lesson. It's always very human gentle, error. Very gentle, Patrick. especially yeah. if you call tech support. I tried. Thank you. Yeah, you. you, you <laughs> I, I can tell you some tech support stories that end with, oh, the power is out in the building. I can't turn the light on. Yeah, yeah so like, real <laughs> stories. I can't see if the plug's in there. The lights are out. Why are the lights out? Well, the power's out. Doing? Uh, Jeremy, you were just on a trip. Yeah. Vacation. I yeah. I was not as interesting as yours. I, w- I went to see family back east, but it's always good to go back to the east coast for a little bit. Do a little crabbing? No, no, I didn't. No, I planted a uh, mailbox. 
Okay. Nice. Yeah. Um, what state were you in? Virginia. <sighs> yeah. Just, I guess they have their own. Um, uh, well, we won't go into the whole flag business, but in South Carolina, they're, they're taking down flags in front of, of state buildings. Yeah, in, good for them. In Virginia, I guess they're taking them off license plates. Also a good idea. Yeah. Um, what was your strategy on the like? Did the mailbox come down due to vandal vandal activity? Just age. Okay. Ten years old. You know, okay. it's good to go home and help out help out your mom. We um my, my one of the last projects my dad and I did before I went to college was the mailbox fortification project of of nineteen ninety two. We had a bunch of hooligans driving around our neighborhood with baseball bats, whacking mailboxes as as they well, do. Yeah, like in Stand by Me, right? Just mm-hmm. just exactly like that. Yeah. Um. So we bought a big mailbox and a small mailbox and put the big mailbox on the outside, the small mailbox inside the big mailbox and then filled the gap mm-hmm. with concrete. Oh wow. <laughs> There's uh, the, no, it's, it's, it's a, a friend of my dad did something similar where it was like 60 pounds of concrete yeah. and then they made it, they made, they basically went to all this effort to make it look like it was still a wood post yeah. and just a slightly bigger mailbox. And a few weeks later he came out to a, a dent on the front of the mailbox and half a baseball bat. Oh, that's <laughs> fantastic. We, those kids. Ours had, uh, the back window of the car smashed out because the mailbox it rebounded. We assume, and then there was a bunch of safety glass on the ground. Wow. That makes me happy. It was really good. Yeah, nice. Federal fucking with mailboxes is a federal offense. People don't do it. There's is so it, many yes. mail that's inside. If it's an empty mail, this is if it's an empty mailbox. I think and mail- there's no mail inside. Yeah, is is it just property damage? I th- no, I think the mailbox is a is still something you're like licensing from the federal from the from the U.S. Postal Service. Wait, wait, wait. Hold a on. personal mailbox? Yeah. People dro- the mail person Patrick's drops your Patrick's mail fact in? checking. Mailboxes are considered federal property, and a federal law, Title 18, United States Code, Wait, Section 1705, uh, makes it a crime to vandalize <laughs> them or to injure, deface, or destroy any mail deposited in them. Violators can be fined up to $250,000 or imprisoned for up to three years for each act of vandalism. But is that for personal mailboxes or for, like, the blue, the blue ones? Thing. I think that's the blue one. Uh, it, it, I don't know, man. I, I have heard that it's illegal to put something in someone else's mailbox. Yes. That's why, that that's why like, you get a big lecture when you're like a six-year-old delivering newspapers. Like, remember, you can never put this in the mailbox. Is that because... Really? Yeah, because it's a, it's basically you're, no one but the postal service is allowed to use your mailbox. Wow. Yeah. We don't have... I never grew up with a mailbox. Oh, yeah, here it is. Postal inspectors at USPIS.gov slash raddocs slash tipvandal.htm. Protecting yourself from mailbox vandalism. Rural area mailboxes are vulnerable to vandalism because they are usually isolated, located on public thoroughfares, and frequently not visible to the box owners from their homes. City residential va- mailboxes are vandalized to a lesser degree. Mm. See, so you would Federal never experience property. Storm. Yeah. $250,000. Usually when, you're, you're, when your mailbox, like in an apartment building in a city, usually when your mailbox has been vandalized, it's because somebody stole the mail. Yeah, um. or they put poop in it. I had that happen once. Oh, no. Really? Yeah, somebody jammed poop through the slot. What? That was not good. Just yours or everyone's? Everyone's. It that's, was super bad. That's awful. Um, that's a lot of poop. The uh, well, it, was only, it was like a four-unit building, so it wasn't that many. But but the the problem we had was that we were on the end of a really long straight stretch. So we were on the right side of the road. People had a good 600 yards to get up to speed so they could get a real good running start at it. And if they wailed on it with an aluminum baseball bat, it was all over. The whole thing would fly about 40 feet, and you know there'd be mail everywhere. So... 
The concrete thing, it still stands as far as I know. They haven't, they like, it's 20 years old now and it's still going it strong. Sounds devious. I love it. It was pretty good. That's um, awesome. You guys were at Comic Con. Indeed. That's right. Patrick, were you at Comic Con? I was not at Comic Con. You've never okay. gone to Comic Con, have I've you? I've never made it to Comic Con. By the time I started, by the time I became aware of Comic Con, it was at that point where it was like lotteries and tickets and, and selling blood or, or doing despicable acts to get tickets. And then you'd have to stay in like the Inland Empire and drive in every morning. Yeah. Um, you don't want to do that. You know, some day maybe when the kids are ready yeah me too that's where i'm at i've never <laughs> been either my recommendation is don't go to comic-con well you gotta go you can go, once, right? you can go take your kids to other conventions yeah. first yeah to build up to that yeah. like if you want to go someplace where they're going to be able to like hang out with other nerds and play board games and like do fun stuff there are better cons than comic-con right. for that because comic-con is not about having fun hmm I don't. It's absolutely about having oh, fun. It just takes a lot. It takes a lot of energy to have yeah. that fun. You have to work really hard to have a lot of fun at Comic Con. Um, whereas if you go or to something like PAX or, um, yeah, it's a little easier. I was yeah, shocked. To, I was shocked to hear how long people waited in line for the Star Wars event. That that was like a sleep overnight thing for most people. The so in general. Yes. yes. That's amazing. Let's talk about what we did at Comic-Con. Sure. To give you a, a quick debrief. Uh, we did record a podcast there, still entitled, if you want to listen to that. But in that podcast, we didn't really talk too much about what was going on. It was still kind of in the heat of the moment. Um, and, and now that we're back and from Chris Comic-Con, Hadfield was there. and Chris Hadfield So we was kind there. of just stopped talking about Comic-Con and started talking about Chris space. Hadfield. Space. Yeah. Um, space. So uh, we, of course, went with Adam. And yes. one of the things he does is uh, incognito walks. He walks the floor, uh, which is, it kind of sucks because Adam used to do it just as a way so he could enjoy the convention and take pictures and go to the booths that he always likes to visit, buy some things. Without being hoarded. Without being hoarded. But now that it's become kind of a production, it's a balance of like, we want to, you know, we want to share that experience with people. It's kind of like this treasure hunt thing mm-hmm. for people on the floor. And he never doesn't really get to a chance to well, do those things. He usually takes a mask of some kind that he can walk around he in. Didn't, I don't think he had any I don't think he did year. it this year. He did last year. Uh, so there's like the super secret incognito that we don't go for. And then there was like the public facing one, which every year has been bigger than the last. Uh, last year, of course, he walked with his alien spacesuit, the one with the, Zeno, uh, with the facehugger, um, which he had spent 10 years working on. And then this year, wow. we brought in Chris Hadfield. Yeah. And uh, it was the first time I think he's done a duel in Cognito and did two of them. Uh, he walked with Chris Hadfield in 2001 Space Odyssey Clavius spacesuits, the uh, silver ones with it's, the white helmet. The ones that Haywood Floyd and company go to the monolith on the moon in. Right. It's the same design helmet spacesuit as the one on as the famous red and yellow ones. But, They're gorgeous. But yeah, it's it was it is. He's been working on this for so long. He he made the plans for the for the suit. Had that sewn by by. I think the same woman who did his uh, Mercury suit. No. Um, and then, uh, yeah, just did all sorts of like it, it was it was a really good suit. He also made a chiller for it, which is the first time he's done that. So one of the things that people who don't wear costumes a lot know don't know is that anytime you put a helmet on and you're enclosed, both two things happen. Carbon dioxide starts to build up and it starts to get really, really hot and sweaty and humid in there just from your exhalations. So um, when he was wearing the alien suit, which was one of the more sealed things he's worn, he the normal vent just wasn't cutting it for mm-hmm. him. He wanted he needed a 
chill suit. So he came up with a way to do a chill suit this year and basically just got, we'll, we'll do a whole video about it. But basically, it's just a shirt with some tubing that runs through it, like low pressure tubing. Didn't he just, did he actually make it from scratch? He he bought this, the shirt. Okay. Because um, you can get them for race car drivers. Yeah, no, no I was going to say, because I've, I've seen yeah. people try to make them, so they didn't want to spend the money for, for race vehicles. And they're, they're it's one of those things that mu- looks really simple and is an utter nightmare to make yourself. Well, so, hmm. so we've seen the ones that NASA uses, mm-hmm. which is a, basically a whole set of long johns that are made of mesh and have tubing woven wo- right. back and forth in them. Um, those look like they're super homemade and make it look like it would be really easy to do if you went and got like a, a wide mesh shirt from one of the fetish shops down in South of Market. <laughs> right. Um, but yeah, he, he went out and bought something. Okay. Um, it, I had the impression he had something to do with the reservoir and the pump, though, that he... So he built the reservoir and the pump from, yeah. from scratch using like an immersion pump, and he just you know used acrylic glue to make the, the reservoir yeah. the size that would fit in his backpack. Um, I think that there's ways we can make it smaller by instead of using as, quite as big a reservoir, using a, a, mm-hmm. a, like a thermoelectric cooler or something like that to actually chill the water directly, so then you just carry batteries instead of... Right. You, you know, you, you're limited by the number of batteries you can carry, not by the amount of ice you can pack in the reservoir. Hmm. But yeah, he said it worked really well, and they didn't come out of those suits looking like they were going to die. So they're still sweaty, but they at least didn't look like they were. How long die. were they on the floor? Probably a half hour on that one. It was a long time. That one was about half an hour uh, plus transportation. So they were in those suits for a an, long, time. an hour at and, least. You no, know, mm. they had fans going on for some circulation. Um, obviously, Chris Hadfield has done many hour-long spacewalks. More than that. I mean, spacewalks, you get many, in and out many, of the suit many in an hour, hour yeah. spacewalks. And so he, he could tough it out, no problem. And Adam's done these enough that he could tough it out. So they were both really good sports about they're, it. They're in pretty good shape, too. Um, the one thing to note, if you're going to try to build this before we do the video, make sure you have a way to turn the pump on and off while you're in the <laughs> suit because you can get hypothermic really, really quickly if you yeah. leave it on full blast with ice water in there. Hmm. Um, and, and like that would have serious health ramifications so yeah. so yeah make get, make your switch accessible so you can flip stuff on and off <laughs> i shouldn't have to say I that but it's I best to say well no it's it's good to say because i mean people you know people think of hypothermia as being like well i fell into the river yeah. you know in january in the north you know in north dakota if there's a river in north dakota you can break through the ice too in january but it's it's amazing how fast people go hypothermic and they don't recognize it because not a lot of people have spent a lot of quality time in 50 degree water or even well, realize how fast you can just suck the the heat out of your body yeah it's that i mean it's the it's the thing i told you in boy scouts right right if it's 50 degrees and you're wet you can get hypothermia just as easily as if it's 30 degrees and you're dry so anyway um that was that we'll have more on that it's not it's not in the not too distant future but we'll we'll definitely do more stuff about both the suit and the chiller um because i know people have tons of questions about both of those things so tested brought cool things to comic-con did you guys see anything that like excited you? Are, you, are you are you guys burnt out on comic-con or nope. is it still okay nope because <laughs> uh, you seemed also, like because oh. i saw the walkthrough you did and I, you you uh, pretty yeah, that was, about that. that was in the heat of it you'd say right. you're exhausting um we also have another incognito video, which is up today, and Adam actually walked another time with a, a special guest, which is Alton Brown, So, where the Clavius suits were highly technical uh-huh. and a huge effort. He, with Alton Brown, went as the Matrix Twins, 
Oh, really? And it, it, they were super, uh, wow. and they were still custom made, some parts of the costume, but really low grade costumes. Intentionally, like intentionally bad. Intentionally yeah. bad costumes to, with bad wigs to try to not get recognized. But their way. faces are exposed here, right? With Mostly. That's interesting. They have similar facial hair, yeah. which is how they thought they could get away with it, but they were recognized, <laughs> as you'll see in the video. So, so it the, was really funny. The thing about the thing about his Adam's intentionally bad costume wasn't very bad. Like it was better than what most people are gonna whip together. Yeah. It's just kind of true crowds. Yeah, it still drew a crowd. That's and, his curse. Like they were they were on IO9 or something, and the whoever posted the picture on IO9 had no idea who they were. Oh, that's so funny. it's just like the Matrix twins, our best cosplay of Friday that's at Comic Con. Nice. Yeah, so um, so that was good. Yeah, we saw a ton of good stuff. Um, the, one of my favorite, so Comic Con for me is always a challenge because it's like it's there's these amazing costumes mm-hmm. and a ton of creativity and people right. who built rad stuff and like just unbelievable skill being shown off. Right. Um, uh, both on the terms of the, like the cosplayers and the amateurs, and then you also get to see the actual real movie props in a lot of cases. So like Warner Brothers trotted out all four four of the suits from the new uh, Superman versus Batman movie, which however you feel about the movie, the costumes looked unbelievable. Um, um, Weta had a booth full of like props from the Warcraft movie, Lord of the Rings, The Hobbit, Chappie, um, their Krampus thing, a couple other things. And it was mm-hmm. all right where you could see it, right? So normally, even if you go to like an exhibition, like we went to the Game of Thrones exhibition a couple years ago, you can't always get up close to that stuff and see how it's actually made. And the way they display stuff at Comic-Con, usually you can get a much better look at it than you're ever going to have mm-hmm. a chance again. Did the World of Warcraft stuff look as realistic up close? as it did on camera. looked way better. Up. Warcraft. Amazing. Yeah. Not looked, World of Warcraft. Yeah, it's just Warcraft. I'm sorry, I'm sorry, yeah. It looked like Warcraft. It, like, it looked... It looked if the shoulder I, pads could have been bigger. The I think they... We talked to him about it. He, they scaled that stuff down so that it would not... So the proportions would be right in relation to normal human beings' heads. But yeah, it looked, it looked like... If you said, hey, make me some Warcraft armor... If, if you had shown me that armor and said, hey, what's this from? I would have said, oh yeah, it's Warcraft. Um, I thought it looked really good. In Warcraft person. has pretty distinctive armor, and yeah. there's been you know decades of Warcraft cosplay already. Mm-hmm. Uh, it just it looked metallic, and you said it's, it's all plastic, it's mostly plastic, plastic and, foam. and foam. Yeah, it's amazing. Yeah, so that was the big surprise for me is even Weta now, except for hero props, they do almost everything in plastic and foam. Yeah, it's all cast resin. That's yeah. how you make lots of copies really yeah. easily. Um, Smithing is tough. So let's see. We didn't do any. We didn't spend any time in Hall H. So to, to explain, uh, to uh, to give you clarification, Hall H is um, a six thousand five hundred person room. I- Normally, within the San Diego Convention Center, it is just another part of the big, big exhibit hall, but they they can board it off with a wall, and they do, and they have a stage at the far end, and so they put 6,000 seats in there, and that is the big uh, panel room where all the movies or all the big, big names, movies, TV shows have their panels. Mm-hmm. Now, to get in that, they don't vacate the room between panels. Oh, really? So if you're in in the morning, hmm. you can sit through the... And it's how it's been done for at least as long as I've been going for 11 years. You can just sit through to the very end. And, so, and for example, I went one year where uh, Jack Black was there to promote Tenacious D Pick of Destiny, and people waited outside overnight. He was the last panel of the day. Waited all day and sat through tons of panels that they didn't care about just to get a Jack Black right. concert, Tenacious D concert at the very end. Uh, the Star Wars, which was the second to last panel of that day, a Friday, every day in Hall H, 
because they don't get people out, some people, their entire convention, Comic-Con, is just <laughs> waiting in line and going to Hall H and sitting there. Yeah. And they have the bathrooms in Hall H are the worst. I was going to say, like, do they bring they are the Gatorade bottles no. to pee in? or get do they expensive food, get nachos or hot dogs of a vendor outside, and then they have one exhibit hall bathroom, which I believe has, like, half a dozen stalls on the men's side for 6,000 people. <laughs> so, so what no you, ins and outs. So basically, like, you, you what, put your name on your chair, you leave your hat there, and you... you, you and you have to have friends. You have make to have friends, friends to okay. guard. Yeah. Uh, Holly just where there was a famous pen stabbing a couple years ago. <laughs> um, over sounds something. like a horrible place. Uh, I don't do that anymore. Hmm. Uh, also, uh, they now set up a whole tenting queue line. Um, like it, I believe when Will and I and his wife went for Iron Man Two, there was a huge yeah. line, but there was no tenting system oh, I over the line. Sunburn. Now, because of sunburn, because of how hot San Diego is, they set up basically like like a first aid rescue relief tent system outside. It's starting to sound like burning, man. To it's, wait through, it's like the look, worst worst line. If you if ever. you like, okay, I'm gonna make a potentially really bad comparison here. <laughs> But I think like it is it is not entirely different from like triage centers after big disasters. There's people all sitting there. They're bringing water in constantly. Right. There's people passing out left and right. I would say it's probably Everybody like, smells like pee. It probably like the triage center at a major at, at Coachella. Maybe that's with, probably with, or maybe Burning Man. Yeah, yeah. man, not Burning Man. Cause I, have some, I have some friends who worked as Rangers and one of them uh, worked closely with a bunch of EMTs and one night on the burn they brought three people back uh, from from being flatlined. So that's probably Jesus. a little more intense. Okay. Yeah, that's, that's a big night. Fewer <laughs> drugs. Fewer drugs at Comic-Con probably. If you're in there all day, do you do you can you stay the night in Hall H? You cannot stay the night. You do so have you to have to go get night. back in line again? Yes. What a nightmare. Yeah, I saw that. So um, the, the point of the Star Wars thing was obviously Star Wars was probably the marquee movie at Comic-Con this year. Marvel. Uh, Warner Brothers had. tried. Warner it, Brothers hard to compete panel. with yeah. Star Wars. It's tough to compete with movies that you've been waiting a, a decade for. Especially when, as as a as a long time Star Wars enthusiast, I'm not looking at this one and going like 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 you know what I mean like like Jar Jar pretty much just Jar Jar and the acting and the script and George Lucas pretty much wiped out most of my love for the franchise until the last 15 minutes of the last movie, and then I saw the trailer for this and they had me before I saw Han Solo, yeah. and then I saw Han Solo and I'm just like WT. F question mark explanation point question mark. So people who did not lose the faith during the long ugly opening trilogy must have been berserk online. I mean, were they just sitting there vibrating in line? Uh, vibrating I'm sure, with the force. Yeah. Um, and there was a build up from Star Wars Celebration where some mm-hmm. footage was shown. So the, the, the feeling was real good. Um, the thing that you alluded to was they at their Star Wars panel after showing this great behind the scenes clip which anyone can find online it's a three minute montage of the production J.J. Uh, Abrams then took everyone gave everyone lanyards and walked 6,000 people to a concert escorted by stormtroopers escorted by 501st stormtroopers the man has style <laughs> oh my logistically what an incredible nightmare. Where the San Diego yeah. Philharmonic was yes. Philharmonic played, played John Williams' favorite Star Wars songs. So, yeah, so Gary was there. 
Yeah. He, he called it, he was quoted, I think, on um, some movie blog. As he he wrote a post about it. Saying it's, it was his w- Woodstock. Right. Yeah. <laughs> it was on film mud. school rejects. E- everyone was given, it was 6,000 yeah. people, everyone was given a lightsaber. You got to choose your color, is my hey, understanding. Hey, one of Blue. those Disneyland style lightsabers. Hey, yeah, 6,000, no, no, dude. Yeah. Blue, red, or green. I think, I think, I think Walt can what, spare. What a party. Yeah. That's serious. And then they played played Star Wars music in a field with everybody waving their lightsabers over their head yeah. for, for a couple hours. We, we had a party, too. We had a party. <laughs> it was the same time. <laughs> Ouch. So <Somebody laughs> it was fine because our party was packed and also, yeah, we, we maxed out. Yeah. 1,200 people came to our party. Your party looked like a set so we're, Star Wars. So we're one you were okay. the cool of Star Wars. Right. As cool as Star Wars. One fifth the volume, possibly just yeah. as cool. I'll take that. I mean, <laughs> if we're going up against a $4 billion cool. franchise, I'll take, I'll take one fifth as cool. Um, <laughs> Guarantee we spent less money. So our party was also on Friday night. It was at, uh, oh, one last thing with Star Wars, and we did mention this uh, on Stone Titled. Uh, Star Wars was the second to last panel of that night and the last panel was an evening with Kevin Smith sorry sorry, Kevin Smith so if if you wanted to get in the Hall H that was the best time if you wanted to see Kevin Smith you were in luck yeah and and (laughs) it's great because it was like this is the only time that they actually emptied Hall H before programming was over so it sucks waiting in that line because basically if you're in those tents you're waiting one at a time hoping that people get hungry or have to go to the bathroom and have to leave, and then you, the next ten people go to, get to go in. But if you know the next panel is Star Wars, wait—is that between the panels? Yeah, no, no, or people, just any time. Any time. So any like, time. oh my god, that's they, horrible. There are people it's, counting. If one person leaves, like five people leave, then five people get to go one in. One man enters, one man so goes. So how, how it worked when we were waiting in line for the Iron Man two thing was like, oh, we know Iron Man two is three panels away. Okay, let's look at the <laughs> schedule for the next three panels. Are there going to be? Oh, Twilight's coming up. Okay, we know the teen girls are going to leave after Twilight so maybe a, a thousand people right. get to go in and then you know like an hour before Iron Man even if people have to go to the bathroom they'll stay because they'll they'll right. they'll wait you for Iron Man just pee your pants and if you want to see, see Robert Downey Jr. yeah you'll know there's no chance <laughs> and so for those people waiting outside Hall H in those tents at the end of Star Wars it was nice for them to at least yeah. get some kind of show and they let those people go back to their place in the line for the next day's panels is my understanding like the 75 people that went in for Kevin Smith were able uh, to go back to the start of the line if that's where they were okay that's yeah, that's, so it worked nice. out. Kevin um, Smith and the do-over. Poor, poor Kevin Smith. Poor the, there was a picture somebody showed on from Instagram that was like him sitting in front in this enormous empty hall right. with like eighty people in the front. Um, it would have been a like it would, it's an awesome time to go there and be a Kevin Smith fan, right? Totally. Yeah, so I think Kevin can handle that. But he's been burned by Star Wars once again. <laughs> uh, so we did have a party, and uh, Jeremy, as you alluded to, there was a, some kind of Star Wars theme to it. Oh, I actually did guess that. I didn't know that. Um, we, ma- it- we made it look like uh, the the carbonite freezing chamber. So I was right about that? Chamber. I thought I was being all clever. How about that? Well, Star Wars wasn't the official theme. Uh, yeah. It was being Adam's favorite movies and our favorite movies. So, oh, cool. um, we did bring props from while well, last year's party it was called Incognito and it was um, bringing Adam's just his costumes. Uh, this year we brought a mix of his costumes and some of the props from the caves, some of the shelves from the caves from past tested videos. Like Born bag, mm-hmm. Tarantino shelf, stuff like that. Maltese um, Falcon, mm-hmm. yeah, stuff like that. And then when we went to scout the venue, um, it's a massive like 900 person club, San Diego club, as my brother likes to call, wow, you got the second best dance club in San Diego. Um, It's kind of a nice burn. I was going to say, in that case, probably a compliment. I don't know anything about your brother, but from that line, I think I know your brother intimately now. (laughs) Yes, exactly. You know a lot about him. He knows the rankings, and he was impressed. Um, 
the dance floor is a circular dance floor, and the ceiling has these LED lights that are arranged in a um, like a line pattern that they, kind of faces toward yeah, the they, center. Yeah. They, they're uh, they're not cir- the line, the LED lights aren't circular. It's a sunburst. It's a sunburst of LED lights that mm. kind of go um, along the ring, and the RGB so can be any color. And when we went to scout the venue, we we're like, oh wow. Huh. <laughs> Norm and I both at the same moment were like, hey, the, the, I know what we can do here. There's an opportunity here, and uh, if you look at any photo of the Bespin gas chamber, uh, the carbon freezing chamber, mm-hmm. um, there is the floor paneling are orange LED lights or lights that point toward the center. It's a circular room, and oh, so wow. it kind of has this inverse, actually, but has the gestalt of. And so that's a photo of our, our party, and then so put in piping on the top, hung up a uh, Hanan carbonite, uh, <laughs> as one displays, does. Um, you brought Adams, brought Adams Hanan carbonite, yeah. sixty pounds. Able to mount that in, on the ceiling. Oh, uh, able to mount that. I did some real MacGyver shit to hang that. Will, fucker from Will the and ceiling, Frank right? did some some <laughs> yeah. heavy knot tying I, I went, and lifting. I, I, I want to know that you guys drove down in a van with Han and Carbonite in the back. Just, and R two and R two D two. And I drove down like last year in a Penske, packed with. Stuff. Lots of Adam's really nice stuff. I'm just I'm just thinking of that moment in the in in the Central Valley on I five where you get pulled over and like what you got in the back uh, <laughs> movie memorabilia. Every going to Comic Con are every you? <laughs> pothole carefully avoided. Yeah. No. Um, oh my goodness. Trying to pack a astromech droid is a lot harder than you might think. Like getting him <laughs> lashed onto the wall it just doesn't work very well. But it was fun. Uh, I think the the fans who got in early were, were really happy to get some FaceTime with Adam. He chatted with people for about 90 minutes. Mm-hmm. And then uh, at the end of the night, um, Dead Mouse, the DJ, came on and everyone went crazy. He played a lot of umph umph music. Yeah. So so your party had had had, had dead mouse. Had dead mouse. Yeah. I think you guys did okay. I think <laughs> it was okay. I felt, we felt okay about it. I, you should. Yeah. I mean, you didn't have 6000 people or lightsabers, but I think you showed yourselves well. And we had Han Solo frozen in carbonite hanging from the ceiling above the dance floor. I was floor. so afraid. I mean, I know I was I oh trusted my God, dude. I trusted the You think you jobs, were afraid, but like <laughs> it was just hanging at an angle. I mean, it wasn't the point where people hit it. It or was an swing intentional it, angle, but oh. <laughs> we wanted thirty degrees so that we could light him well. Um, yeah, let me tell you. Every time I looked out over the dance floor, all I could think was, "Has it moved? Is it moving? Has it dropped a little bit?" Because you'd look out and there'd be thirty people standing underneath this thing. I was like, I could really like one mistake here could kill fifteen or twenty people. No problem. So Patrick, every one of those guys would be happy to go that way. You think so? <laughs> yeah, everyone. I bet their lawyers would disagree. <laughs> um, you asked earlier, you know, can we still enjoy Comic Con? No, the answer uh, is no. I th- what, here's when I enjoyed Comic Con. <laughs> I enjoyed Comic Con on. Tuesday at 11 a.m. when I returned the empty Penske with no damage. Yeah. And after all that stuff had been returned to his cave. Yes. That's when I began to enjoy Comic-Con. Sounds a lot like CES. It's a, it's very similar to like big presence at CES. Anytime you have to move a big operation. Right. It's just there's so much stress on both sides of that that you kind of don't like. I had about five minutes at the start of the party. Where I was like, this is a pretty fucking good party. And then I was like, well, in five hours, we're going to have to pack all this shit back up into the truck. <laughs> I'm going to go jam an ear, ear plug way yeah, into my ear. We're up 4.30 a.m. Yeah, packing wow. up for the party after the party. And I'm not eating much food and we just went to Subway. Jeez. Yeah. We did a podcast the next day. And we did a podcast yeah. next morning. 11 o'clock. Last year we did the podcast the next morning at 7 o'clock. That was a mistake. So anyway, um, that's Comic-Con. We, I we also brought a, a Rancor. 
Oh, right. I forgot about Frank's Rancor. So that was a big project. Bill's that we did. District 9 gun and Frank's alien claw for that. Yep. I don't Which think those, those videos are up, up yet. Nope. But you guys will see him soon. Yep. Uh, Frank's Rancor was awesome. Frank's Rancor is beyond awesome. He built that in less than a month. I don't know if you saw pictures of that, Patrick. Mm-hmm. It's um, a costume of the Rancor. Oh, wow. Uh, from Return of the Jedi. And his inspiration for building that is uh, in the production for Return of the Jedi, Lucas had commissioned the, the record was supposed to be a suit, a man in a suit, Godzilla right. style. And they had prototyped it. And you, there are photos that we got access to from the archives and from Phil Tippett's studio of their prototype of how the man would walk mm-hmm. in, in the Rancor suit. But the final Rancor that they made just wasn't that, didn't match up to the maquette that Phil Tippett had made. Sure. And so they made it a puppet. Um, so what you see in the movie is a combination of a, a, a bigger head for some of those close up shots and a puppeted one. Not a lot, a few stop motion shots, but really right. just puppeted. Um, and then composite with the hmm. Luke shots. But Frank, our friend and a fan of Creatures and a fan of the Phil Tippett's work, wanted to make make the Rancor suit as right. it would have been made, but his style, make it true to the maquette. And I think it was pretty successful. He did a really nice job. It's beautiful. Yeah. There's no eye holes in it, which I was interesting. So there's a camera on the front that's embedded in the... Nostril. Yeah. yeah, so we were talking about this. Like, we're going to look through it because the head actually protrudes much further than your normal right. head. That your head is, um, there's a, a frame that right. you, and you can actually, original design was going to be able to turn the head. Um, so we got a, a FPV camera mm-hmm. uh, from a racing quadcopter because uh, they're low latency. But actually, we just wired up and he wore one of those FPV, FPV racing goggles. Oh, my goodness. Uh, with a wide field of view. That's so committed um, because like those work, <laughs> but it's not what you would call a particularly. Well, we got one with a really, we were switched out the lens. So it was mm-hmm. a wide field of view yeah. and we adjusted the exposure settings. So the indoor and outdoor to be fast exposure changes okay. um, and the super low latency. Um, and it's only going like 10 feet, not like a quarter mile. So. Well, we walked a block and a half. Probably. No, he's in it. He's wearing the yeah. goggles. That's what, that, yeah. No, that's what I mean. Like, oh, like yeah, instead yes. of like yes. when you, when he you was put just them wired on, directly, the wire, it wasn't a wire. Wired directly. Yeah. We tested wireless and we decided wired was just the easy way to go. Right. But we had a, a scare uh, right before the walk where he couldn't see anything through the goggles. He was just oh, getting no. static. And so some quick troubleshooting. Hmm. And then, Whack. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, but the, the larger issue with that, and I did some math yesterday. I think he might have been getting carbon dioxide poisoning inside that suit for the amount of time that he was yeah, in there. There was an air hole. When he, the air hole was that big and it was under his crotch. It wasn't far enough away. There was yeah. nothing forcing air through it. Hmm. Like he was in there for about fifteen or twenty minutes and he was panting really hard by the end. There's audio that we have that we didn't put out because we had recorded his direct audio mm-hmm. uh, and he was exhausted. Yeah, it, was it looks like that. a huge it's a hard job. It's not super heavy, but it is very unwieldy and it's hard to move in. Right. And it would have. It was 95 degrees outside probably that day in San Diego in the sun. So like he was, it was hot. I got to say, this is more references to potential death by any means, much less the fact that they're both around carbon dioxide than I've ever heard in a tested podcast. Well, you know, <laughs> well, you know in space, it's not yeah. about the lack of oxygen. It's about over carbon dioxide. Yeah, that's 1%, what we've, you that's what we've learned. At least until there's a hull dizzy. rupture. Yeah, exactly. Well, right. The hull rupture takes care of the carbon dioxide problem. It has its own unique set of challenges. Should we talk about... Um, Pluto, speaking of space. I just want to know, first of all, what it was yeah. like meeting Hadfield I mean, on the podcast. Was that, was he's that the best. He's the, he's the nicest guy he's in the world. He's the most incredible man in the world. We have, we, I'm number one in the Hadfield Appreciation Society. Yeah. Norm and Joey are, are, are number two and number three, respectively. He has the firmest handshake. I imagine so. Yeah. He's a commander. He remembers everything. All your name. Is that right? Yeah. Everyone's Everybody's name. names. He met 15 people in a row who remembered all their names. Hmm. Um, we, while we were waiting for, is the panel up yet? Yeah. Okay. 
we had an opportunity to sit for a fairly extended period of time while we're waiting on something to happen and just kind of chat. And he was answering, like we talked about flying jets because he was, before he was an astronaut, he was a test pilot. Um, and he's checked out on d- dozens of planes, I assume, tons of planes. We were talking about flying different things. He was answering, you know, he's answering the kind of questions he usually gets as an astronaut about flying like supersonic jet fighters and stuff like that. Was, he's just, he was just, he was totally game for whatever. It was really, he's really nice. One of the best things was um, the morning, uh, after his incognito walk with Adam, when we returned back to the room, uh, he was hanging around and Phil Plate, the bad astronomer who writes for Slate, mm-hmm. was there, who was a super nice guy, incredibly intelligent. He's like Neil deGrasse Tyson level astronomer. Mm. Um, and he and Chris Hadfield were just shooting the shit about Pluto. Yeah. About New Horizons, because mm-hmm. it was before it happened. And well, it was, it was the day that the flyby was going to happen, right? To hear that, just to be a fly in that room and to hear those guys talk about their perspectives on, on Pluto as something was happening while they were at Comic Con was incredible. Yeah, it was really cool. So, Pluto happened. Yeah. New Horizons did a flyby. Um, there were some problems a couple weeks ago that we talked about a little bit on the podcast, but it seems like they worked most of that stuff out without a whole lot of loss to the science. But um, but yeah, New Horizons earlier this week just blew right by Pluto at a fairly astounding rate of speed. <laughs> it's our fastest craft ever to leave the atmosphere. Well, it's the first one with an ion drive, right? <coughs> or the first first thing that really has an ion drive. Yeah, so it's tiny, tiny, constant, sl- small acceleration versus one yeah. big blast, which is what we normally do. But it can't slow down now because it's used up almost all the fuel. Yeah, it's gonna. It's not gonna stop. Yeah. Can't stop till it's got enough. That doesn't have enough yet. <laughs> um, but yeah, so it's it's eventually will overtake the Voyager probes and all that stuff too, right? I read it won't. Oh, it won't. I don't know, but I don't know why not. If it's the fastest, you would think it would. But I read that it wouldn't because Voyager is just so far so far away. Hmm. I don't know. The Voyager Eventually the, it will. I would think so. Yeah. Mm. If you can explain this to us, please do in the <laughs> I'll comments. I'll have to find the article I read. But, um, so it, it flew by. It was within 10,000 mi- miles of uh, Pluto. Something like that. And it snapped some beautiful photos. So the terrifying thing about this whole process that I didn't realize is that well, first off, you can go to the deep the NASA the Deep Space Network webpage and see what like what probes are communicating with which antennas around the world at any given time. Mm-hmm. It's a great webpage. Everybody should go check it out because it's really cool. It gives you like the actual data rates. What do you think the data rate is for a connection to Pluto? It's right one now? kilobit. One kilobit per second. I thought it was three hundred baud. At so most, up to one kilobit at most. Okay. So I'm, four kilobit, but I'm thinking. At yeah, I know that's slow by today's standards. But as somebody who had a 300 baud modem, I'm right. thinking this is pretty sweet. <laughs> yeah, pretty sweet. <laughs> with, with with latency of eight, nine, nine hours, <laughs> yeah. nine hours round well, trip. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, your multiplayer quake's not going to work. But no, your thing's going to be a <laughs> ni- nightmare. Mm. Muds. You could almost. I was because you could almost play Oregon Trail. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very really, slow. Game. It's all Civ Five, man. You just send your changes back and forth. It's all good. Well, but but on your 300 baud modem, you weren't sending massive multi-megapixel images either. Well, I mean, it's downloading, you know, large images or large games, and it would take an hour to download, whatever. So, I mean, it was, you know, it was slow. But this is more, this is closer to like 9,600 baud, which back in the day, I would have died for 9,600 baud. So, (laughs) So the other thing they're doing is... Because of, I assume because of power requirements, but I don't know. They can 
kind of only do one thing at a time with the probe. So when they were doing yeah. the flyby, it was f- collect as much science as we can, mm-hmm. and then several hours after that pa- that that time passed, that opportunity passed. Like they didn't know if the flyby had succeeded until not just the time lag after, but like ten hours. It ended up being the flyby was in the morning, and the and the confirmation ping came in at five o'clock that five thirty Pacific that night. Is that when people cheered? That's when people cheered. That's okay. when they were like, everything went okay. We got data, and now it's a matter of like taking the next nine months to send it back at one kilobyte per second or one kil one kilobyte per oh second. My goodness. Yeah. Can you imagine? Well, kilobit. Kilobit. Yeah. Sorry. It, it was fun explaining this to my son because we had had this moment because uh, Jupiter and Venus were just hanging on the horizon this week. Yeah. And, you know, and I, I got out. We were talking about on, on Tech Thing this week a couple of my favorite astronomy apps on the phone so we could see what they were. And then Clear he starts skies. waving. Uh, no, actually. Um, Oh my goodness! Uh, you know, one I've been using uh, on and off for like 15 years, uh, which means at this point I really should remember the name of it. But I just sort of click it's, on it. It's the one with the phone, one with the stars. Uh, <laughs> um, Sky Guide, and then what's the other one? Sky Guide is great. Sky Guide's great. Sky is gorgeous. It has a um, red mode too. And Distant Suns. Ah. Which started out, Distant Sun started out on the Amiga. Like, they started development on that in 1985. This conversation's over. Sorry. <laughs> no Amiga talk. I'm not going to talk about Amiga. Um, although, so many. <laughs> although. <laughs> I'm not even an Amiga fan. It's just like, sure like every eight. <laughs> I, I never touched an Amiga. I never used an Amiga. All I know is um, that I saw the ads in the computer magazines for the Amiga that said you could use your Amiga and a modem to see when you could look at satellites flying over. And I was like, that is literally the best thing I've ever heard as like a nine year old. Hmm. You, but, but I didn't know anybody who had an Amiga, so we could never do it. Well, the you know, a, well, video toaster. That was that was when actually the first time I got to, to see an Amiga. Right. But the uh, like physically in the real world, not in a computer. This, this thing's grandfather. Oh my goodness, yes. Um, let's not go down the, the new tech rabbit hole. But the uh, it was funny because like you know, I mean, you know, we could, we start talking about Pluto. You know, explaining to a seven year old that, that that this 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 spaceship is three billion miles away. It left the Earth a year before he's been was born. It's been traveling at an unimaginable speed, you know, and he's like got the big whoa face on. And then, by the way, if it hits a particle of dust, it's going to explode. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even like a couple of hydrogen atoms could cause some problems. Yeah. Because we, we've been talking about, because, you know, we homeschool, we've been talking about the whole, you know, like force and inertia uh, a couple of weeks ago. And I was like, you know, you know, force equals mass times acceleration. And, and you can have this little tiniest thing and it's moving so fast. Um, you know, and that point was about the point where he watched his brain start to freeze up. He's like, when do we see the pictures? I'm like, well, it's going to take him like nine hours yeah. to download. He's, and and then the explaining bandwidth was hysterical um, because, you know, he's never known anything other than high-speed broadband. There's got to be bandwidth simulators. Go to a website. And <laughs> <laughs> just get a, a, the shit proxy? Yeah, just, you know, what just, dad used to have. Well, it did find a, a broadband calculator because I was, I was working out some math on, a, on a, a video stream a few weeks ago, and I laughed because it obviously had been created around 2000 and had never been up updated since. So it, it had some <laughs> preposterously slow rates and you couldn't actually get it up to a, a, a proper broadband rate to, to calculate the values. Because right. it didn't <laughs> exist. Yeah. yeah. You know, they were t- the idea of something being that fast was just preposterous back then. <laughs> Have you guys seen that website, lightyear.fm? No. It recreates um, the opening sequence to contact. Mm-hmm. Really, uh, but uh, you know, I'm not sure what they programmed it in, but with way more content, and so you can slowly just fall back over time outside, not just beyond our solar system, but light years, light hundred light years away, 
uh, and get all the whatever was top of the Billboard charts. Oh, was it like that? Is it, so cool. Oh right, I forgot about that intro. So you, that's cool. You, the beginning of Contact has that amazing CG mm-hmm. sequence where you start at Earth and you you pan out all the way and then you get the radio broadcast. Right. Yeah. Uh, of what would be at those distances? What would be in th- those distances? I think they were approximately right, but they were like mixed between radio uh, music yeah. and talk radio and stuff like and that. And then you end with Hitler. And then, well, that was halfway through the movie. Okay. Um, and this does that, but with all whatever the top songs were of those years. And obviously, it ramps up pretty quick. So have they discovered anything about Pluto? Tons of stuff. Uh, like the, that that just, we didn't know? Just looking at Any pictures. surprises? We didn't... We, the, the lesson is we basically didn't know anything about Pluto. Mm-hmm. Um, one of the things that they've learned is that it is active geologically. Um, the surface features, there's no, there's, they didn't see very many impact craters or very few impact craters at all, um, which implies that something is changing the surface of the planet constantly so that any impact... Internally. Something's happening, hmm. you know, whether it's geological or there's ice volcanoes or whatever, we don't know. Um, but it's... it's <laughs> wow. uh, like it, it, it's, it doesn't have craters, which implies it's things that are constantly changing, or at least have been for the last hundred million years or so. Yeah. Um, Charon or Charon, I don't know how you say it. In the there's a lot of debate right now about the appropriate way to pronounce that. Uh, is the large moon of Pluto, uh, and they found out some amazing stuff about it so far. Like we've gone from having pictures that were basically four pixels of that to having you know high resolution imagery of something that we've never seen That's before. Cool. There's four to six mile deep uh, chasms. On on Charon, um, which you know, what, what do you do with that? I, I don't even know where you go. Almost certainly water. They think on the on Pluto itself on the surface on the surface frozen, uh, frozen frozen so cold that it will be harder than steel, um, <laughs> but ice nonetheless. Huh. Um, there's a bunch of features that they still kind of don't know what. Like I don't think they've modeled out what what they're for. You know, as one of the, one of the principals said, like the flyby is literally the beginning of our mission. Right? We got there. Yeah. We've collected this data. I'm going to spend the rest of my life analyzing and this now, and figuring it out. Aren't they going to be transmitting images back from the probe for mo- months now? Yeah, like, literally years. I Six, think sixteen they, to they, two years or something like that. They filled the data banks with photos that now have to be transmitted at yeah. one kilobit. Yeah. Um, the funny thing to me about this is that my daughter is now the same age that I was when Voyager One reached Jupiter. Um, she's like six months younger, hmm. but I remember like it is an, an early memory watching the nightly news and seeing pictures of the Great Red Spot and Jupiter's tiny little ring and and you know the the Jovian moons up close for the first time. These are the pictures are going to change the the astronomy books. Yeah. Like, yeah, right. Every, college, college astronomy classes, astronomy one hundred and one. It's going to get <laughs> new books with these photos in there. Everything we know has changed about Pluto in the last week. I mean, you laugh, but there was somebody had the side by side. This is formerly the best picture of Pluto we ever had, and it's like an eight bit graphic. Oh yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh yeah. This is the shots it we would, had yesterday. It would fit on that, you know, the game frame. It would, yes. Yeah. <laughs> it would actually be accurately rendered on the game right, frame, yeah. and uh, it's such a. Like, I was, I was laughing, like. You know, most people I know can't plan a vacation. You know, this was eight years of flight, not counting all of the. And I wasn't even thinking about this when I was talking about it. Are we there yet? Yeah. Are we there yet? (laughs) Well, and how many years did it take them to build the satellite? I'm sure it was. I'm sure this is a 20 year project. You know what I mean? And it's just, it's so like, it's just the kind of awesome science that I would like to see more of. You know, the guy who discovered Pluto, his ashes are on the satellite. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome. On the probe. On the probe. probe. Sorry, that's what I meant. Yeah, yeah. The, um, the, it's the last time we'll see new images, first f- new images up close of a planet for the first time. Dwarf planet. 
still planet. Ever in our yeah, like we're yeah. out of planets now. We've, been, we've right. seen all of them in our galaxy, in our solar system. Solar system. Solar yeah. system pardon yeah. me. Yeah, I don't know. It's um, it's fascinating. I can't I can't get enough of of Pluto right now. It's really cool. Um, should we talk about uh, Intel? Intel had news. So um, they basically announced that they they moved to ten nanometer. So for the last two generations of CPUs, right, they've been on a fourteen nanometer process, which means that's basically the size of the thing that they use to etch the silicon on the CPUs. Um, typically, they do two generations and they move to a smaller process size, which it affords increases in power power usage, efficiency, heat generation, all that kind of stuff. Which means that then they can pack more stuff onto the chips, which means they get faster and better and more powerful and all, yada yada. Um, they just announced as part of, I guess, their quarterly report that they're not going to make the transition to 10 nanometer with the next generation. They're going to do one more generation at 14 nanometer, and 10 nanometer will be pushed into 2016 or 2017. I can't remember. 2017. 2017. Yeah, second half of 2017. Um, Sorry, more. Yeah, so that means, you know, hmm. we knew it was coming. Moore's Law is slowing down. It also means that the TikTok... You know, the tick and the talk. One was the right. initial run on the new process. One is the revision, yada, yada. That's gone. Um, I'm, I'm torn on this one because on one hand, there's there's part of me that's like, this is what happens when you don't have meaningful com- you know, competition and soon they're going to start raising the prices and it's all going to suck. And, and then there's another part of me that's like, the vast majority of people I know cannot take advantage of a Core i5 processor, like a, a mid-range quad yeah. core. Yeah, is is nobody's going to use 100 percent of? Yeah, I mean, you know, so if you're video editing, if you're doing sort of 3D rendering, if you are an architect, there's you know, there's there's all this stuff at the far end of the bell curve, um, on, on the high end, far end of the bell curve, but for the you know, so. You know, it doesn't make economically. It doesn't make sense for them to push really, 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 really hard to move to the new process. Except mobile, yeah. It's all about smaller in part. It's not performance. Yeah. Well, yeah, and it's interesting, right? Because by by doing a die shrink, by moving to a new process, you you do you know reduce the power consumption. You do improve the performance. But it's funny because like you know last week one of the big stories that came out was that um, you know IBM and a consortium had put together the first seven nanometer process chip. And what, what was interesting about that is as we got deeper and deeper into the story um, you know they they had this was essentially a, a boutique this this was the equivalent of you know the hipster recreating you know 16th century you know leather crafting technology to make you a belt because basically a bunch of guys in a lab in a SUNY university built this wafer from the ground up and it was an incredible feat of engineering what they were saying like the, the transistors were so fragile the simple act of connecting it to most power supplies would cause them all to basically vibrate and fall yeah um so, you know, they're they're you know they're talking about being a couple of years out on that process, much like this. But like, part of me is really sad about this because we've been watching these these ridiculous jumps, especially in battery performance on mobile. Well, well, tons of what we take for granted now. Like, if you think back to what your house was like in 1985, sure, no microprocessors, most likely, maybe like a game console, like an Atari 2600 or a, or an NES or something. Probably not even an compact, NES at that well, point. Did we have the Compact Portable Two, or was it an IBM XT back then? Probably I had an IBM XT back then, uh, or a TN nine four eight. Probably I, I did then. not. My my dad's business right. had one that right. I would sneak in at night. We, he had a computer um, that he brought home right. from work that was like the bookkeeping computer. So, like if you think about all of the advances we have from them, all the way up to smartphones sure. and VR and quadcopters and all that, it's all been driven by decreased power consumption, increased performance. Right. 
over over 20 years 30 years um More so yeah that. i'm well right but i mean we the last 20 years have been the fat part of the curve sure. right where it goes from flat and slow to a straight up the and ridiculous hockey stick and now we're turning into a sigmoid where it kind of takes the right turn at the top again mm-hmm. um at least until somebody figures out quantum computing or some some sub seven nanometer process um photons <laughs> uh so yeah like I, i'm with you like there's not the media application is oh instead of my my laptop lasting eight hours it'll last twelve that's great I'm good eight hours is fine for me right um, I don't most people don't use the the power that's in their that their computers are capable of right now but there's millions of applications nobody's even thought of yet for more processing and cheaper mm-hmm. processing and more compute um, and I think a lot of that is going to be in fact on the server side because the next revolution. You know, cloud storage is free at this point. Essentially, it's not from a consumer standpoint, but for a, for Google or Facebook or Amazon right. or Apple, it's, it costs them practically nothing. Compute still has a tangible cost, but it seems like that's trending towards zero as well. And once once our web our web, our web services and stuff have the ability to do the type of compute that typically you do on a desktop, all bets are off. I, in both a good and a bad way. Yeah, I mean, there's there's part of me. It's like I, I I have concerns about sort of the power grid and the internet infrastructure and a bunch of other stuff. Oh yeah, um, holding up under that. But uh, the power. I mean, it, it's really interesting when you realize that data centers are pretty much located now based on whether or not you can get a gigantic source of power near cooling and power. Yeah. Um, and reducing the cooling is the biggest thing for the data centers to allow them to pack more processors in, to allow them to yeah. make more computing power more economically. But, you know, it's I keep watching all of these, like, online gaming services crash and burn um, because of the, the, the fundamental issues of latency. Well, it's because um, they're not good. Yeah. Yeah. But that's, but a, bad, I mean, that's a bad... That's, I think that's a bad use for massive computer sure. on the Internet. Okay. Right? Um, what about Google good, Docs? Google, Google Docs is practically no compute, though. That all runs True. on the client side. Yeah, it's still, you know, still sometimes it feels sort of slow and awkward, although I may be having Windows 10 issues this week. <laughs> I think, yeah, I think, I, think, um, I, I think the better example is like, is like photo management, right? Right. Like if I can upload my photos to Amazon and they can recognize all the faces in the photos for me and I just put names with faces, it makes it much easier. Like having, like that's something I'm never going to do on my desktop because it takes, I have 30 gigs of Sorry, photos. Sorry, I just want to finish that. Like, it makes it much easier for the NSA to track you for the rest of your They're life. They're already tracking me. It's, there's nothing we can do to stop that at this point, <laughs> short of pitchforks and, and torches going to, to Fort Meade. I don't endorse that idea either. Um, but yeah, I, I think the, I mean, I think we're going to see stuff that we, like the voice recognition stuff that's just mm-hmm. starting to come out is the barest tip of the what, what people can do with compute that's useful. And whether it's intrusive and useful or just useful is to, to be determined. I think, I think it's intrusive for everybody else on the bus. Or in the room, yeah. Or at the restaurant, or in the office. Do you have an echo? No, echoes. Uh, you know, I, I was fascinated because I we were, you know, Shannon brought one on tech thing and she bought and it worked, which is still like because I've spent so many years, you, you were using voice recognition stuff that sucked. It's still this absolutely charming and delightful experience yeah. when it actually works. And Echo answered everything I wanted to do and was turning things on and off and it's cool and it's awesome and just the idea of, you know, s- some little device sitting in a corner of my house listening to everything just creeps me out. Oh, yeah. I love it. 
Not the list, not the privacy part. I've been waiting for the Star Trek computer my whole life. Yes. There it is. Is that cute? Now you know it's just like it's that episode of Voyager where the main yes. the Star Trek computer is limited. Nice. That, 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 that's the brain. Yeah. I like yeah. to give that's the brain for Echo. Could, put Echo behind say, it. We need to get a shot of this because people who are watching the video are probably wondering if I'm stoned because about every, like, <laughs> you know, I'll just sit there and I'll stare at the, the, the LED cube for like 40 seconds straight. Do you ever want to share what that is? We'll talk about it in what, what we've been testing. Okay. okay. No. Um, just can I just clarify yeah. a point? You guys were making some interesting points. And don't you think, though, that the your original point about uh, there are more software advances that can be made with the current technology. Don't you think that applies to cloud as well, that we don't necessarily need that to expand? I think most of the stuff that people... In power? So if, if you look at the way most people run server stuff now, the idea is to run it with as little load on the machine as possible. So like yeah. your typical web server, caching server, whatever, is like, you know, you, you run it at 2% all the time. Hmm. Um, and I don't actually, I don't have any idea why that is. I just know that when, when the load on the servers gets too high, then they just spin up more instances. The thing that's changed is the ability to do virtual machines, to right. run virtual machines. And so that means that instead of building one giant machine that's, that takes all the load of a site, like, like in the old days, if you were the system admin for Slashdot, you would buy the motherboard that had the most CPU sockets and put the most CPUs that you could in that thing with as much memory as it held right. and a giant ass RAM drive and a huge SCSI drive array so it had the fastest I.O. Now you don't do that. Now you just build 50 virtual machines that all do a little tiny chunk of that work and run them through as few bottlenecks as you can. Um, and we're just starting to kind of understand what you can do beyond replicate. Like we, now we're getting, we've, we're good at replicating the, the standalone monolithic machines, right? And the clusters of monolithic machines. Now we're figuring out, oh, wait, if we have access to basically infinite compute, we can do all these other things that people have never even considered, like voice recognition and, and pattern recognition on images. We'll talk about the deep, the, the Google deep image nightmare fuel pictures in a little bit. But like, that's another example of what you can do with compute when you have, yeah. when you can visually, when you can look at all the pictures on the internet and say, and tell what they are instead of just what people say they are it's incredibly powerful i i totally get that and i'm just suggesting that the slowing down of moore's law isn't necessarily a threat to that that better programming can compensate for that probably not or just throwing more more hardware at it right like it's yeah at the scales we're talking about adding three cpus doesn't matter it's yeah. adding three thousand cpus makes it matter makes a difference to those clouds the 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 point is like gmail exists Gmail came out in 2003, right? Is that is that when they launched? 2002, 2003? That sounds about right. Mm -hmm. At that that product exists because the higher ups at Google said, "Look, build products as if storage is going to be free." Yeah, because it's going to be free. Mm -hmm. Um, that was the, the same, whole long tail um, argument. Pretty much, yeah. yeah. So the same thing is happening now with compute, and it's going to completely change the internet in the same way. I think that the, that adding infinite storage to, to for users has, in terms of to tools like Dropbox and OneDrive and and all the stuff that's both good and bad. So anyway, yeah. Moore's law. Is, is, does it affect you? Probably not. You're probably okay. <laughs> the CPUs that are out right now are really fast. You're good. Um, we're going to talk about Windows Windows 10 RTM is two weeks from now. It two, seems so uneventful. What's we, RTM? Release oh, to manufacturing. Oh, my goodness. Final. We yeah. talked about this a couple weeks ago when they announced the date. Um, but it seems really close. And I think that they actually, the build that's on up for insiders now is presumably the build. The yeah. one that's going to go the out. Last, yeah, unless yeah. something incredible blows up there are no more updates until july 29th right um the amazing thing about this to me is that 
like in the old days, they would RTM about this time every year. It would be like mid-August probably. And then you wouldn't, it wouldn't be available for people to buy until pretty late in the fall, like into the holiday buying season. So, you, so there'd be two months from like, you know, middle of August to October 25th, I think is when Windows XP came out you, that, that like the final bits are there, they're ready, they're available. You couldn't get drivers from anybody to run your video card or sound card or any of that stuff. And like your laptop manufacturer wouldn't support it if you wanted to upgrade. And then all of a sudden they flipped the switch on the day of now they RTM'd Monday ish. Two weeks later, it's going to be available for everybody to download for free on their computer. Um, this is a big deal. It's a big shift. You're running Windows 10, Patrick. How are you feeling about the past slew of like the flurry of updates? Your last comment's a little concerning. Okay. Well, uh, you know, there's. Um I've been running Windows 10 pretty much since the technical preview came out on my primary production machine. You're, you're a brave man. I I brave, stupid, thin, <laughs> thin line. Um, the and well, part of the reason I've, I've almost always run the new operating system on at least uh, one of my primary systems is because it's really the only way to get to know it. Yeah. Um, you know, so for me, it's it's just something I started doing literally back with Windows ninety five, and it's just never stopped. It's always um, been. This is the first time I've not done that actually, um, and it's just because my work my my home gaming machine, which is usually the one right. that I test with, also is my podcast editing mm-hmm. machine, and I can't afford for it to be broken right now. Well, you know, and there's you know, it's funny because we were talking about virtual machines before, and you know, you could you know run it in a VM, you could dual boot it. There's a bunch of stuff you can do um, that that is much more practical now than it was even two or three years ago. Um, you know, but part of what happened is, is the more I used Windows 10, the more I realized how much I hated Windows 8. Mm. And there's nothing particularly wrong. You know, underneath the hood, Windows 8's a fantastic piece of engineering. But the the Metro interface and the fact that, you know, with all due respect, Windows is still not Linux and you still need to reboot it on a regular basis. And the fact that I had to do all of this foo or, you know, download something that would patch and put a freaking start button and, and a power switch in a reasonable location, um, it just became more and more irritating the more and more time I spent on Windows 10. Um, you know, they're, they're, for the most part, the Windows 10, um, the Windows 10 uh, uh, technical preview has been fairly flawless. There was a week when they did a patch where my system would start rebooting every 10 minutes because I would have to reboot because it would freeze. They sent one. Um, they, there was one. It was like in mid-May, right? Yeah. They sent a bad, basically. Uh, a, are you on the fast channel or the slow channel? I was on the slow channel. Then I moved myself to the fast channel um, after actually after that event. Yeah. This is uh, a measure of how many updates you get? Basically how quickly. You, yeah, essentially. Um, you you can, get tears, right? Yeah. Like fast people get it up first then it rolls out to everybody in the slow channel and then it rolls out to Got the, it. Yeah. Um, it's opt-in you yeah. know but the they they fixed most of this pretty much they fixed everything that everybody was whining about uh in windows 8 in terms of the metro interface and the big giant tiles but it's also funny because you know they're also still making the tiles a huge part you know of the menuing system you know so but, but yeah you can configure how much of that stuff you see it's yeah. much more configured like from what I've seen, it seems like it's much more about giving you the experience you want rather than saying, yes. hey, here's the experience you need. So you're yeah. on what is presumably the final now. Pretty much. Right? I mean, the, the 3D build software is in there that I'm just starting to get to play around with and a lot of Native the stuff. Native 3D build stuff? The 3D, yeah, the, the 3D build application that's inside. Essentially, they've decided to add 3D building technology. Like for 3D printing? For 3D printing. Wow. Yeah, that was a, a big thing they were doing at at, uh, at Build this year, you know, doing the, the demonstrations for that. I think for a lot of Windows 8 users, yeah. it'll be a 
relative no-brainer. Yeah. Uh, assuming you're okay with yeah. the, you know, updates and stuff. Yeah. Like Windows mean, 7 is like the bigger thing. They want to get Windows 7 users who off resisted Windows 7. 8 on this. And start menu goes a long way. Yes. Um, It'll perform better on older hardware, I believe. Right. Uh, I'm curious what... For Windows, people are using Windows Seven right now. What are the things that they can't live without that they think they're going to they're going to lose Windows Ten? You know the menus. I mean, as somebody who like my the 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 you know the sub four hundred dollar gaming PC, which ironically is my primary desktop system uh, at the warehouse. Um, you know, I, I don't really think of anything in Windows Seven that I'm going to miss. You know, it's mostly the stuff that Windows Eight crufted on top of the operating system that irritated me in terms of the interface. I think also the presentation of the interface because mm-hmm. it is made for something. Windows Eight also made for some for touch, even on desktop. The spacing, I think, is a big thing. Like yeah. spacing of the lists because you have it has to be big enough that you can touch those icons. Yeah, and I think a lot of people like high density displays, and Windows Seven. Not optimized for touch. Get those your your your, yeah. your uh, finder. Your I mean your Windows Explorer. Your start menus. Those list menus are. It's just an aesthetic. Whenever thing. I open up a PDF in Windows 8.1, it uses a Metro style PDF reader. Yeah, I don't know how normal people use Windows 8 because the only way I know how to exit that is with Alt F4. The second thing I did when I started running Windows 8, the first thing I did was install Chrome. The second thing I did was install a, a, a third party PDF viewer mm. because the fact that they would assume that you're going to, I was just like, I, I did, if I wanted to run DOS. <laughs> And it's, <laughs> it's the full screen. I, I don't want the. If I'm running on desktop, yeah. I don't want things to take up the full screen. I just. I, I remember want Windows. I, I mean, it's funny because like you know, for for as much trash as you can talk Microsoft, they're not usually profoundly stupid about UI. But the idea that everybody uses a PDF and they read the whole PDF because they're probably doing instructions for something, and why would anybody want to have multiple things up on a PDF right. viewer? Right. Like, because wait, are you telling me like you know people read documents and and create documents at the same time? That is incredible. I did not know that you know we couldn't do that well we could do it in dos and i'm just sitting there like what were they thinking well, but but you said you had that feeling with the first time you're like bam oh my wife got so full pissed. face pdf on the screen can't get around it can't minimize right. if, it if, can't if, squ- if i'm my mom i'm rebooting the computer at my, that point. My, my wife was so pissed <laughs> that she was just like i can't use your computer anymore because she got into a picture into the photo viewer and couldn't figure out how to yeah, get out exactly and, and you hit the it, windows key right and you're like all tab all tab and then it still doesn't live like in a window. Yeah. It still yeah. lives in its own full sp- the, the, full screen thing. The thing that made me crazy that they got rid of Windows 8 that is like my third most used thing in Windows 7 and XP is this. The most recently used icon list right. that lived in the start menu. The most recently used applications or most frequently used applications. Like that, that, is, that was a day-to-day stop for me. Mm-hmm. And like the top one or two were usually in the task bar. But then the other stuff that I use once a week I didn't put in the task bar and that's where that lived. And it, it just doesn't exist in Windows 8. Right. You can't get to it. So um, I, I'm excited. It, like from what I, I haven't used it as much as you have, Patrick. But from what I've seen so far, I've been I've been really pleased. And it'll be nice. Like I I did the opposite of you. I toughed through Windows 8 because I wanted the performance benefits of the new kernel and all that yeah. stuff. And I mean, and, I did it on yeah. this machine until I put Windows 10 on it. But part of the problem was is and I, I I do like especially if you have a minimal amounts of memory. Windows 8's a big step over Windows 7. But um, it was it was mind boggling to me. I didn't realize how much I. 
because I, I was kind of a Windows 8 apologist. And then I started running Windows 10, and I just, it, I ground my teeth anytime I had to use one of my Windows 8 machines. Yeah. I mean, you know. Uh, well, that's a great review right there. <laughs> how's, how's Adobe stuff? Have you, do you use Adobe stuff or no? Um, I am just starting to run, I'm just starting to learn Premiere. Okay. For the, like, the last time I used Premiere was before they wiped uh, the, <laughs> did you know Premiere is the only application in the history of Adobe where they have wiped the entire code base and started fresh? I can see that. Um, it was a good choice. When did they, when did they do that? <laughs> Several years ago. When, uh, when it, the CS transition, right? Yeah. yeah. Um, the uh, Because they realized there were just so many things they just could not cruft around. Um, uh, and it just, it's funny, you should, like, because you, you, you mentioned Adobe, and, and all I can think about Adobe this week is that I've actually been turning, Adobe, I've been uninstalling Adobe off of everything. Uh, and, and the fact that Firefox now blocks Flash. Uh, yeah. <laughs> the, you know, <laughs> uh, natively blocks Flash. And um, sorry, I'm a little, and I apologize to Adobe, because I've, I've, I've just been kind of like die, flash, die for the last couple of weeks after the, the whole hacking team. Thing. Years, it should have been. Um, Year well, it's, yeah. it it just got it got particularly bad. Like I've been doing Threatwire, which is like a lot of internet and and PC security stuff. A, a, a new show with Darren and, and Shannon from Hack Five, and it's been like it's been insane to watch. Like three major patches, at least one of which could lead to you know taking over your machine uh, in Flash in a week. Um, yeah. Which also leads to the whole issue of like you know full disclosure and, and people selling vulnerabilities to government and hacking crews and all sorts of other stuff, which has uh, gotten just weirder and weirder. So, in the last so we should years. we should back up and start at the beginning for this because we didn't talk about it too much. Okay. Basically, the story is that a company that sells vulnerabilities to uh, corporations, uh, nations, nation states, dictators, the whole thing it seems like um, got caught selling zero day well, exploits for flash right well okay so the hack so there's there's a company called hacking team uh the Italian company and their primary thing was basically selling software that gave away for companies to uh companies countries primarily to spy on communications right. uh on computers right um some pretty nasty stuff obviously it's the kind of stuff that is particularly effective in countries that don't have any sort of legal challenges or, or requirements for for like america yeah uh you know <laughs> NSA complicated emotions bubbling. Sorry, up now, Patrick. No, it's just it's it's uh, so they were always kind of like, well, we don't, you know, we don't actively deal with with companies with bad human rights records. And what happened is a bunch of countries. people, uh, countries. Yeah. Not, did I say companies, companies again? again. <laughs> I'm in that, that. It's okay. William Gibson Zaibatsu right. area where it's all getting muddy. We're all. It's um, a horrible dystopian future. The <laughs> and we're all charging into it. Um, but so a bunch of people basically got irritated with them and hacked into their system, which apparently wasn't that hard because one of the things they did was they hacked in. They took advantage of some really bad passwords. They got inside of their system. They pulled like a 420 gigabyte bolus of data, puked it out, uh, you know, on on BitTorrent or wherever they decided to put that. And people started analyzing it. And you know, there's like Excel spreadsheets, you know, basically like this is our payment system, and these are the companies that are paying us, and this is how we're getting more business. And they're like, you know, they're dealing with the Sudan. They're dealing with all sorts of of countries that are just absolutely horrendous. The one I saw that was terrible was an Excel spreadsheet that had the list of countries that they yeah. talk about working with and the list of countries they don't talk about working with. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. 
Yeah, nice job, guys. Yeah, it was. I mean, it was pretty. Bags. Yeah, uh, even for people who aren't particularly interested in the concept of human rights, you would have to look at that list and be like, oh. So the upshot is that out of the hack came a list of some of the zero, some of the ex- pre- previously yes. unknown exploits that they had a lot purchased. Of them in flash. Yes, and at least at, you know, the first there was like there was like what there was a major Windows one and a major Flash one they found you know in the first couple days, then another Flash one, and then a third Flash one was basically found inside of you know so there were three major Flash patches. So then this led. Does this affect Chrome, which has its own Flash implementation, or do we know? Yes, it essentially does. Um, Chrome, I think the the Google maintains its Flash implementation for Chrome, and I, I've never really been able to, to figure out sort of the, the nature of that relationship if it's all done in house or if yeah. they have Adobe engineers. Um, but it, it was you know I basically went and just started turning off like Flash blockers were already on, so I wasn't that paranoid about it. But I'm I'm in the process of it, Flash is pretty much gone from everywhere else in my system. It's it's a little hard to get rid of. Like it doesn't yeah. show up in ad remove programs on a lot of Windows machines I've found. <laughs> um, okay, so then after that, right. Mozilla turned off automatic playing of Flash on yes. Firefox, which is a good move. It seems like everybody else is going to do the same thing yeah. as as time. Yeah, because because Flash able. had essentially been taken inside of the, the, you know Chrome or Google and and Microsoft's uh, you know uh, progression on Flash was essentially to pull it inside of their their browser right. to try to manage that messy situation. Right. Uh, was was Flash still somehow more prevalent than I understood because I, uh, from what I was saw, you know, Steve Jobs had his crusade. Yeah. Uh, on mobile, HTML5 versus yeah. Flash, but yeah. that affected the whole web. But but like YouTube was still using Flash as recently as six months ago. Yeah. Any video you watch on YouTube unless you opted into the HTML5 player. I yeah. thought they pushed HTML5. There's, they there's a they ton just of, turned over a few well, weeks ago. There's, there's, there's a still, ago, I mean, there's still a tremendous number of, of, of video websites that use Flash. Um, there, If you're looking at like the top 1,000 websites on the internet, probably, you know, it's down to single digits or sub-single digits uh, of, of those websites that use Flash. So it's not really big. But it's like, you know, the the CDN I use, their their native uploading tool is, is Flash. In the so, so us too. I mean, uh, we um, our player, by the way, we know we're working on the Flash thing for premium videos. People right. have asked a lot about it. Um, we wanted to have an HTML5 solution, but there's not there wasn't a good one at the time. And I think right. somebody's figured out we just have to test it. So hmm. it could be a couple of months. It could be six months. It could be two years. I don't know. But we're working on it um the upshot is if you if you load up um turn off flash yeah have it set it set it if you can't get rid of it because you need it for some stuff set it so it doesn't auto run Mm -hmm. so that way you have to click on it gets rid of a lot of ads on the web too which is kind of nice um like yeah. That's that's the easy way yeah. to solve the problem. If you right? sit with like sixty windows open and your machine crawls, if you put a flash blocker in your in your browser, you're probably going to notice a dramatic increase in performance. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's also been like the the number of stuff coming out of this the hacking team. Like just looking at the latest four or five news headlines, like FBI used hacking team services to unmask Tor users. Another hacking team zero day services this time in Internet Explorer, not Flash. South Korea's intelligence agency purchased spyware from hacking team. Uh, Malaysia purchased spyware from hacking team. Um, you know, it's it's uh, it's been crazy watching this. Uh, uh, all it, it's just they basically somebody took their entire closet of secrets and turned it inside out for it's, the internet. They're going to end up spinning off making a new company or something like that. Yeah. There's no way you recover from this if you're those those kind of guys. Yeah. Um, let's take a brief moment and uh, have a word from our sponsors. Norman Chan. Hey, well, do you do video conferencing? 
Um, I do, and uh, video conferencing is tough because, like, if you use like Skype or even like Hangouts, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, either you have trouble joining the the meeting, the the video's choppy, crappy, bad quality. The interface is bad. You can't share the stuff that you want to share. The audio sounds bad. I have good news for you. Yep, Zoom. Uh, has left those issues behind. Yeah, and we tried this out. Zoom, it's Z-O-O-M uh, dot U-S. And um, the service is really neat. You get all the basic video conference stuff you would expect, but also a lot of annotation features. Um, you can manage a ton of people. Really stellar quality video, uh, both for captured stuff and the, the, you know, the heads on the screen. And like you said, you can have conferences with one to many. You can have a massive shared conference with all of your friends. You can use it to plan your raid and wow, whatever you want to do. It's there. You can try it out at zoom.us slash tested. You can start hosting better video meetings immediately. There are no strings attached, no trials. It's really a free account, so just sign up, try it now, and let Zoom know that you support. This is only a test. Uh, thanks, Zoom. And now, back to the show. Norman Chan, it's time for the VR Minute. <laughs> <laughs> Turns out this week in VR was taken. Really? No, not not really. But no, we, I, we assume he's going to do it at some point. So um, this weekend is this weekend seems thing. like it's somebody else's. Well, two somebody else's other people. Seems. Yeah, if it's not Leo, yeah. it's Calacanis. Yeah, yeah, mm. yeah. Or Kiki, Doctor Kiki. Was that because this week in science? Oh yeah. Which I think originally was one of. Anyway, it doesn't matter. I like the VR minute. The VR minute's the VR good, minute, right? Yeah. It's usually way more than a minute. The VR but hour. This, this this week will likely be closer to a minute. Um, Oculus uh, just announced, I think it's because of some leak or something, but they bought a company called Pebbles. Oh, the people Not who make the watch. Yeah, Pebble, that's what I thought. <laughs> but Pebbles, it's a vision company that uh, specializes in hand tracking. From Israel. Israel, yes. And undisclosed some. This is obviously not for next year's consumer release, but it's good to know that they have a bunch of interface people, uh, teams that they've acquired uh, that are solving the problem of um, how to get your hands into VR. Yeah. Um, the demo videos look like they're yeah. top, top notch. They're doing great stuff with occlusion. They're putting hands on top of hands, you know, weaving their fingers together, and everything looks very solid. And a lot of that is going to be the, the camera system and also just their algorithms for prediction. So, um, is it Facebook makeout rooms, VR? Just, it's yeah. all coming together. It's coming. <laughs> um, no haptic feedback yet, though. That's the thing. I mean, as cool as the getting hands into the space is, I still think the big wow factor is going to come from feedback. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, just getting your hands into this space is a massive leap ahead. Well, you, when we're talking about, you know, tracking hands, uh, everyone thinks, oh, gloves, right? And uh, gloves are tough with the existing optical tracking systems when you're talking right. either light, uh, either uh, Lighthouse or um, Constellation um, because uh, the gloves, there's a lot of occlusion. Um, so however you're tracking it, whether it's with optical sensors or LEDs, you block them also because they're a malleable form, there's no structure to them. So you have to basically track individual fingertips or something yeah. and then kind of approximate the skeletal structure of the hand. Um, but putting a haptic system in gloves, I think much easier. That's what I was saying. So if yeah. you could track the gloves with a so with algorithms as opposed to uh, uh, mark trackers um, and get a good low latency accurate tracking, positional tracking with that, and then just get the feedback with gloves, right. then you're halfway there. 
I'm curious what you meant. Like you said, that it's it's great having just hands. When have you experienced that? Are you talking about with the controllers from Oculus or Vive? The, the Vive, the Oculus, and then just the hand controllers. Uh, I can't remember the name of the company. I saw at E3. We didn't have a chance Control to shoot VR. a video with them, unfortunately. Oh no, no, the other one. Else. Yeah, um, it's it's like. Even with a low fidelity hand model that's just just basing like doing inverse kinematics on the bend on your fingers, yeah, it's pretty amazing. So, um, I, you know, I think I think that whoever figures that out first is going to have a big advantage. And if Oculus is buying these guys, clearly it's because they know what they're doing. Um, also, uh, Oculus now has a partnership, uh, official partnership with Felix and Paul Studios uh, to, quote, produce a slate of virtual reality experiences. Uh, Felix and Paul, they're the company that made those um, interactive, like uh, the, the music videos and the, um, that, like when you try the Oculus the piano session, mm-hmm. they've done a bunch of the demo VR sessions. Are these, sessions. Are these video or are these rendered or I a combination of the two? Okay. Uh, so they're a filming production company, uh, but now they're gonna, you know, write, direct, and produce videos. For I, I don't, it's funny, like, cause they, their 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 blurb on their website, which of course I've just lost. You know, Felix and Paul Studio is focused on the creation of cinematic virtual reality experiences, which is just awesome. <laughs> I don't know what that means, Patrick. You know, that stuff is so not interesting to me, the passive experience. Um, even, and, and a lot of it's technical problems right now. If you watch any, yeah. the Felix and Paul stuff, like the, the spatial audio, it's a great demo for spatial audio when you have like the Cirque du Soleil thing right. and then you hear, you can look around. But even like the stuff they've shot with uh, YouTube, um, with the 360 camera, mm-hmm. the GoPro stuff, you know, yes, you can track something from a 360 perspective and kind of turn your head, but no positional tracking whenever you're shooting a video, yeah. um, and no interaction. And that, yeah. that's, that kind I of can deal with experience. the lack of interaction. I think there's going to be an, an interesting crossover. Like, uh, I think people are going to be able to watch live stage performances in the comfort of their office chair, you know, for the first time. That's what that sort of. That experience, that's the promise of that experience. Is that going to be better than, sorry. No, no, go ahead. Oh, so is, is that going to be better than watching 3D movies? Yes. Okay. Infin- that, infinitely. I, yeah, the, 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 because the panels are lined up off on the plane of your eye, mm-hmm. so it's not one panel on any of the current goggles. Right. You, you, you lose that warping effect that causes so much problem for the... Movie screens the are meant to be 2D, that, and that's yeah. always been the case. Like, it's a window. If you do watch a 3D movie, you're watching a 3D movie within this rectangle, and mm-hmm. it makes it's artificial. No, I, I, I'm just saying, I'm, I'm asking because I, I was watching... And Robert Heron was testing flat panels. You know, you're basically like four thousand dollar amazing state of the art screen, mm-hmm. and he had Hugo on, which is a fantastic yeah. movie. And it's the first time I saw Hugo in 3D, and I watched about forty seconds of it, and I was just like, I hate this. I hate it even more than I hated it the first. Like, you know, yeah. like a Mora eel coming out of a screen is the one thing I've actually really liked uh, in 3D. So I was curious if you were yeah. a fan of 3D and how that would impact your thoughts on. I've always on been uh, curious about 3D, and I've been a fan of 3D movies, but it always bothered me. The Felix I, and Paul. Oh, sorry. No, I, I was just saying I finally saw Inside Out, and I was oh, glad that God. like the theater I, sh- I saw it in, they didn't even offer it in 3D. Right. I think word's getting around. Well, for kids' movies especially, if for a movie like that, you can't take somebody under six to the 3D stuff. I wonder, did I see it in 3D mm-hmm. or not 3D? I think I saw it in 3D, and it was, it was pretty great. Um, no spoilers. No spoilers. <laughs> it may, I cried three times. Oh, Twice? Three times. That's once more than I cried one, during up. The one time, there was one cry that was at least five times a harder cry than the other. Were you sobbing <laughs> visibly? Yes, visibly. <laughs> I, that wow. was the problem with 3D glasses. My 3D glasses fogged up. Oh, that's cute. The 3D oh, glasses fogged up and had I mean, to hold back. <laughs> 
<laughs> impediment to field um, filmmaking. The Felix and Paul stuff is really uh, the interesting thing is that they're going to work out storytelling in VR and whether that means a 360 experience, including looking up and down, or you know just a 210 degree. You know, how do you tell? How do you best tell an, an immersive story? Is it like when a, you have a wider field of view than a flat screen? Is it, is it like a planetarium show? Is that where we're, we're I going? Think it's gonna, that's, that's cl- I think it's going to be close yeah. to, are you in the middle of the action? But all you need to do is look forward. Are you behind stage? Yeah. You know, where is the seat going to be? And how is the action and the story going to be well, told can, around you? Can you get up and walk around? Right? Probably not. That's, I, that, I mean, I know not with their technology, but why? But, but like, yeah, how do, how do you get movement in? You know, do you then right. are you sitting in a chair? Is it and then the chair lifts up and you know and, and flies flies through and then you get to another? Is there a teleportation effect? Um, well, we all that stuff. All that the language of VR is, we don't know is what they're right. going to be working on and figuring out. Right. I did also want to use the VR minute to briefly talk to you, Jeremy, Ooh, and tell me. you uh, that I've. I've uh, been reading Ready Player One, listening to it, actually. Mm-hmm. I listened to it on my drive back. Is this I'm, the Will Wheaton Will one? The Will Wheaton one, one and okay. I, I think he, he does a fine job reading it. Um, and I'm about halfway through now, so I'm not completely done. Okay. Where where Have you read Ready Player One, Patrick? Yes. Where are you in the story? Uh, S- minor spoilers. Uh, there was just an explosion. At happened. the trailer park? Yes, it was called that. Okay. What? You're, like a, you're very early. You're like a yeah, third of the way through. 141 pages in. I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how many pages there. 300 okay. pages. How, yeah. 350 pages, I think, actually. Okay. Uh, anyway, regardless, I'm not enjoying it. Well, you're not even into the book yet. I I, yeah. I hope it gets better. <laughs> yeah. But I, I it's not the it's not the subject matter. I read uh, the opening that I'm not enjoying. Yeah. It's the way he tells a story and who. Uh, Klein or or Will Wheaton? Okay. Klein. Hmm. The the Will Wheaton part I'm totally cool with. (laughs) I think that there are things that are tough to get over, and I would love to talk to you about it. Well, when you're done with it, I'd love to talk to you about it. We'll do, let's, when you're done with it, we'll do a special episode of the show. We'll all just sit down and talk about the book for a half hour. I would love that. I have some, I just have some beef that's tough to get over. Well, great. I'd love to hear it. I'm a couple chapters into his new book, Armada, which came out on Tuesday. I've been trying to decide if I'm going to pick that one up yet or Neil Stevenson's next. Neil Stevenson's book is amazing. I think that's, I'm reading Seven Eves at the same time as Ready Player One. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's and a mistake. one person is clearly a better writer. No, no, no. Well, it's not Neil Stevenson isn't just clear. No, He's no, one no. of the best writers of his generation. I know. Yes. And it's... It, and, I'm like, and I think Klein would actually agree with that. Yeah, you're, The, the you're, thing is, the Ready Player One is like the Goonies. Okay? Like it's Neil, Neil Stevenson's stuff is like 2001. Really I, I know. Well, we'll talk about it yeah. when I finish the book. There are other things I have issue with. I'm not completely disliking it. I'm going to finish it. And there are some lovely moments so far. Uh... I'm not going to talk about it right now. All right. I, I'm holding okay. it. End the podcast. I want to talk to Norm about this. <laughs> um, you should Over read lunch. Seven Apes. It's delightful. Really, really good. It's good. It's so good. And I'm listening to that in audiobook, too, between reading and it's really good That's, audiobook. I, I, as somebody who has eight books on the side of his bed at any given moment, yeah. I can't get serious about two fiction books simultaneously. Don't, don't read Seven Apes or something else. That's a mistake. Uh, no, but it's just, it's it's very challenging because I want to be able listen to, to the Martian in between those, dude. No wonder you're having difficulty yeah. with it. You're, yeah. <laughs> Norm, you might be overstimulating yourself. You should dial it back like three or four notches. <laughs> By the way, that was one of the best shots ever to appear on Tested with when Andy, your, the two spacemen walking away from Andy Weir. When 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 oh so yeah, it's not made clear in the video, but. I'll give you the context and going a little back to Comic-Con. Um, earlier that morning, before the Chris Hadfield, Adam Incognito walk, I was walking over to Adam's hotel room to, to get ready for it. It was, um, I think we had like a 9 a.m. call time or something. Yeah. But on the way to his hotel, 
I was walking past and I glanced over and I saw a new ear. And I didn't really recognize him, but I knew we didn't talk to him. He was wearing a, a baseball cap and he had one of those giant Comic-Con giveaway bags. He had a con backpack. The, the, you know, when you, uh, when you go to Comic-Con, when you ch- sign in, you get a, a free like goodie bag. But the goodie bag is one of those massive canvas bags yeah. that you can also wear as a backpack. And he was wearing it like a backpack. How do you recognize him? I th- I don't know. I, I, just, like, I just he was like looked super nerdy. He's holding his straps <laughs> like this, and I was looking. I did a double take, and yeah. I think I turned around and called him. I said, "Andy," huh? And it's oh my god, it's Andy Weir. And so it was pure providence. And I said, "Oh, would you like to come check out Adam and Chris Hadfield's Incognito Walk this mm-hmm. morning?" We're doing. And he said, "Oh no, I got to run into a panel, but he's never met uh, Chris Hadfield before." Um, so he'd love to do that. So I got his phone number, and then texted him and he his panel ended right as we were doing the incognito walk and here's a sequence of events we're on the convention floor and the way it's filmed is that we have a videographer don't give away too many secrets videographer who like who who films them and i'm running around trying to get photos sneakily and not completely with them and everybody else hangs way back and everyone hangs way back and i get a text message from Andy. oh where are you guys should Hmm. i meet you at the hotel i'm like oh damn it we're on the floor right now so i quickly text him um, can you get back to this hotel in about 20 minutes and we can beat you there? And then, actually, I missed a call from him. And then I texted him, ran away, got, saw Adam and Chris. They were walking down an aisle and I snapped like a sequence of six photos and then ran away. And then I get a text, a radio message from uh, Adam's manager saying, oh, we found Andy Weir. Hmm. Uh, we're about to come out this door. And then they walked out, and he was with them. So he ran into them on the floor, just by happens, just just by oh, chance. Oh wow! Yeah, it was amazing. It was so not planned at all. Adam must have Perfect. recognized him. Um, Adam Adam might not be able to see other someone. Else. No, I don't think. Andy, I think he approached. Andy them. recognized oh, okay. Adam's manager probably. Okay, but in that cool. sequence of six photos that I just mentioned, mm-hmm. I reviewed them, and Andy's in the shot, and you can see he's just at a booth looking around. He's looking past them. He turns yeah. to the helmet. He turns to see them. He's got this like star-eyed smile. And there's one shot with a star-eyed smile, and that's the moment I think he realizes it's them. That's awesome. Because I told him earlier in the morning yeah. what well, the costumes were. And Andy, Andy had seen the costumes when he's here for the talking room. Right, he tried right. on the helmet. He was he was there the day or two after Adam realized that if you put the helmet on, you start breathing. It sounds just like the breathing does in the movie. Mm-hmm. So clearly, like that wasn't a Foley. Cooper just jammed a microphone up in this in the helmet while somebody was breathing. Um, so totally random. Yeah. Comic- Encounter. Amazing Comic Con luck. We stacked the deck by reaching out <laughs> early. And Good photo, Norm. But it was a nice, nice moment. Is that the uh, end of the VR minute? That is the end of the VR. We've got minute. a bunch of other stuff to get through, and we're almost out of time. Really? Um, we've got uh, Comcast rolled out two gigabit per second internet service. I think it's fiber. Is that right? Or we know? It's uncle- they, they, like I didn't. I was able to tell if it was fiber by looking at their page. Um, it's a thousand dollars setup and three hundred dollars a month, which is crazy expensive for home users. Hmm. Pretty cheap for like super cheap actually for business users compared to what our two gigabit ch- connection was at our fifty megabit connection was at the old office. Um, it about the same price range. Yeah, you get a sixty unit condo or something. That's great. Well, yeah, I mean part of it's funny because like I think it was. Uh, there it is, wired, where Comcast Google Fiber Rival will be laughably expensive. And, like, I get what they're coming from a consumer perspective, but, like, like the Hack5 warehouse, they basically bought to, to get 
decent coverage out in the particular industrial area where they are. They ended up buying five lines because that's yeah. the minimum for Comcast to extend the cable to the building they were in. And they're still getting that's like, you know, uh, like 500 megabits combined on an external router. So this is actually looking comparably cheap. Right. Um, I mean, even know. compared to the high speed wireless stuff that we can get in this part of mm-hmm. San Francisco, which has uh, usage caps, mm-hmm. this is still in the same price range. I mean, the setup's a little bit more, but you know, if you if you have a three year lease on someplace, you amortize the thousand dollars over three years plus right. however long you stay after the lease is up, and it works itself out. Yeah, and I mean, it's amazing. Like Google Fiber, like you know, there, there's a bunch of stories. Oops, sorry, there's You're a bunch in. of stories this week where, where you know Google Fiber is joining the White House's low income broadband efforts, mm-hmm. and but but you know, people still realize that Google Fiber is in such a tiny percentage of the markets in the United States. Four. Maybe five now. Yeah, maybe maybe five now. And it's, it's you know, Comcast for, you know, for a business looking for a super fast speed or somebody with just money to burn, you know, Comcast fiber isn't going to look that bad. And Comcast is probably more likely to run it to more houses faster than Google. I mean, I'd love for nothing more than for Google to basically start pulling their billions, you know, out of Ireland, which technically are in banks in New York, um, and just wire the entire continental United States. So the thing, the, the thing that I think all that has to happen is for Google to threaten to bring fiber Mm -hmm. because it seems like a lot of municipalities are having luck by threatening to roll out a municipal broadband program. Well, there's a a, time Warner, whatever. There's a problem there because when, when municipal broadband started to become a big thing, like almost 15 years ago, um, you know, back when I was still on the screensavers, uh, Verizon sat down and wrote up uh, and jammed through, I think it ended up going through 17 state legislatures that basically made it extraordinarily difficult for municipalities to create their own broadband systems. And this started when, when uh, ironically enough, Comcast hometown Philadelphia, yeah. who had fundamentally been ignored by broadband services, decided to start wiring a significant percentage of the city themselves. And the response from that was absolutely berserk. Oh, yeah. Um, and 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 it ended up you know putting in a lot of really just ab- abominable legislation. I think a lot of that stuff got rolled back though last year, didn't it? Wasn't there a le- there was a case about that? I don't remember whether it went to the Supreme Court or not. But anyway, mm. um, I think you're you're totally right. I've said that before that yeah. I don't, I think it's Google doesn't even care if Comcast rolls out two gigabit internet. They want people on the net. They just want it as fast as fast. possible. Yeah, yeah. And they've they've done this in order to make a good threat. Have you, have any of you, like my parents have fiber, have a municipal fiber, uh, the electric company rolled fiber for years and then finally just turned it on about five years ago. And when I go to their house, I have, they, they're paying for the cheapest thing, which is I think 50 megabits. And, but the difference is the latency is unbelievable on it. Like you type, you type your query, you hit the button and, and it, it, there's not that yeah. two tenths of a second right. wait. That's cool. It's just right there hmm. immediately. It's amazing. Um, That's the promise of the dumb terminal. <laughs> the premise of the dumb terminal. I wish I was a dumb the promise terminal. and the premise. That's my yeah. that's my new band. The promise <laughs> so of the dumb terminal. February last year, FCC overruled two state laws that were blocking municipal broadband, but the you know similar law quote uh, Gizmodo dot uh, com. Similar laws blocking cities from building out their own broadband networks exist in nineteen other states. That said, the FCC just set an important precedent. Well, and the Title II stuff opens that stuff up even further, as I understand it. Yeah. Well, as soon as it Assuming gets, that actually holds. Gets implemented, yeah. yeah. Um, 
Did you guys see the deep image, the artificial neural network? No. The, the way that, so yeah. do you guys know the way, the, so the way neural networks work is that you set up this, this structure and then you feed it data and you tell it what that data is and you, tr- you have to train it just like you teach a dog to do something or a kid to do something. So the way you teach a neural network to recognize images is if you want a neural network to recognize images of dogs, you feed it millions of pictures of dogs. <laughs> just keep pumping them in as fast as you can. Um, then... The thing Google realized, and this is, I think, the new part, uh, is that, I, and I did, this is, it's funny, because this is something I did research on, like, 20 years ago when I was in college, is that you you tell it to draw a picture of a dog. You tell the neural network that no, thinks it knows what a dog looks like and is good at recognizing dogs on the internet to draw a picture of the dog. Mm-hmm. This is where the nightmare fuel happens. I, I learned Kung Fu. Show me. Yes. Yes. So... Like the the one that is the easiest to describe is probably they said draw a picture of a banana, and on that on that picture you see like six individual bananas kind of arrayed out with all these weird like Mandelbrot set fractal type things happening inside and around the edges of bananas, and then you see other things that are commonly in pictures that would have a banana in it. Oh, funny! So for example. I guess if I'm taking a picture of a banana, frequently there will be a bowl of cereal next to it. So there's a there's a bunch of bowls and they're all like the epitome of the bowl. It doesn't look like a banana like you. you Your brain can pick out a banana in that in that mess, but it definitely does not look anything like a bunch of bananas. Um, same thing for the dogs and the cats and the like uh, mountain when they when they wanted to pick mountains, then they get a lot of pagodas and like cabins in those pictures. Um, it's really fascinating. Uh, there's just go if you search for artificial neural network in Google image. Um, it, the stories will pop right up and I'll, I'll jam it on the website later this afternoon if I have a chance. Um, but they're, they're really, really gorgeous. And like I said, also terrifying. They look like something from some, like, like they look like the result of an experiment that takes somebody with some deep seated mental issues and tells <laughs> them to draw something. Well, have you ever seen, there was a series of paintings done by, uh, an artist. They're basically cat paintings and by an artist that was, uh, going through schizophrenia. Okay, and it goes from like you know this is a cat to it looked like gigantic exploding space crystal cat. Yeah, um, and this reminds me a lot of that progression. It's very similar. Um, I thought it was fascinating. It's definitely worth taking a look. Uh, Apple announced uh, three new products yesterday: uh, a new iPod Touch, a new uh, Nano iPod Nano, and a new iPod Shuffle. The Nano and Shuffle are the same form factor. The na- the Nano, which previously had, I guess, iOS 6 style icons, still has iOS 6 style icons. That stuff hasn't changed. The sh- the, na- the Touch is the same size as the iPhone 5, so the same size right. as the old one, but it's been updated with an A8 processor, uh, and they d- ditched the strap. Seems to be the big oh. things that have changed. And there's a 128-gig SKU, SKU now, and which gold. I think there always was before. No, I think that's new. Oh, it's new. Okay. And, and there's a gold version. Different colors, yeah. Yeah. Um, so yeah, if you want an f- iPhone for your kid without having to give him a phone, there you go. I just wish it had GPS. I don't, under- yeah, I wish iPads had GPS too, but they don't put it in. Well, they do if you buy the ones that are, Sell you know, yeah, yeah, which is just irritating. I'm surprised that nobody's put GPS on the, uh, maybe an antenna issue too. Hmm. Maybe having additional antennas, maybe the GPS piggybacking on the phone antenna. Anyway. That's a good question. Um, iOS 9 public beta is out. That came out last week. Uh, I've heard a lot of good things about the beta 3 version of that that people are actually running. As always, don't put on your production stuff. If you want to roll back, it's hard. Yada, yada. Um, I and, joined that. 
and you'll lose stuff like um, Apple Music. Like it, it does, it is not fully featured. It does not have the stuff, some of the stuff that came in iOS 8.4. So if you're hooked on your Apple Music or your Beats yeah. One, well, it's on there. Oh, it's on there now. Yeah, they like the first beta that didn't have that. That was an internal. That was a developers only. But the okay. public one was the more recent it's one. More feature complete. And it has Apple Music on it. Yeah. Have you put it on an iPad yet? I put the developer one on the iPad, but I put the open one on the phone because I wanted to see what that process was like. So I'm going to put the, between now and next week, I'll put the developer, the, the open one on my iPad Air 2 mm-hmm. so we can try, I want to try multitasking stuff. Ours had a good video of that and it looks fabulous. Oh yeah. If you got the new iPad, it's great. Yeah. Um, Neil Young pulled all of his music from all the streaming services that are not Neil Young's oh, music streaming service. Boy. I don't think I want to talk about this anymore. <laughs> Patrick? Wait, which one is Neil Young's? Paul. Flim. Uh, Mliff. He has the, the, the one with the player, right? The uh, little triangle. Pano player. Pano, Pano music. Yeah, yeah he's... Huh. It's 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 a temper tantrum because his music service isn't taking off. I mean, you know, I I, I am I have been a Neil Young fan for a long time. I'll continue to be a Neil, fan of Neil Young. Harvest music. is an amazing album. Yeah, there's and he's done some you know, he's done some incredible music. But at this point, his his you know the fact that he owned up to like, well, we showed a lot of the artists who talked about how amazing Pono music was. We demonstrated like 128k files um, versus you know. Um, uh, lossless. Yeah, you know, yeah. the master quality tracks. I mean, it's 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 a temper tantrum. You know what? Doesn't matter because whatever CDs of his I own, I'll just rip into a flack file. And I don't particularly, you know, sixteen bit is good enough. Yeah, that's a whole another conversation that I don't even want to begin <laughs> to get into right now because I'm still trying to find. I'm still trying to, and it, who knows? Maybe I don't have the hearing left for it to get back to a conversation we almost started before the show. Um, there's, there's just not a huge. I'm not finding. I'm, I'm listening with some really good equipment, and I'm really not finding a huge difference between um, flak files made from CDs and you know the uh, HD tracks or high. Definition yeah. audio. Well, neither did most people. That's why those yeah. formats didn't take off. We should do these tests with your kids. They have Ooh, good ears. That's still. a good idea. Which well, sounds better? But you know that in my experience, kids care nothing. Oh about yeah, no, yeah, they don't. Yeah. They'll watch you know six forty by forty stuff, no problem. Yeah. yeah, I mean Bob Marley still sounds amazing on jank AM radio. Well, but that's just it though, because this is the, the part of the reason I mentioned is I'm, I'm, I'm working on an article for Tested that talks about listening and and what listening means and the idea of golden ears and how that listening is a process and listening for quality is something that you may not actually do naturally unless you are a musician. And you spend a lot of time, and, yeah. and you, when you listen to, you know, the first time I heard a 128k, you know, like 128k MP3, I was torn between like this is what I've waited for literally my entire adult life was to have all of my music right. and to be able to skip around and have CD quality, and and but it wasn't CD quality, and is that supposed to be a symbol? Is that a ride symbol? Or, or is that someone frying things in the kitchen? Yeah, right. right. You know, yeah, what I mean? and, exactly. and and then the the quality got better and better, and that became less of an issue. But it's it's way too much information for for what should have been a ten second aside. Sorry. <laughs> oh no, you're good. Um, I think that'll do it for news this week. Let's play some music and talk about what we've been testing. I got one of the new UE Ultimate Ear speakers. 
uh, an actual speaker. Wait, I didn't bring it here today. Not so ear, I can't. not earbuds. It's a speaker. So they make the oh. boom, the the big mm-hmm. cylindrical thing. They made a mini boom. They made a mega boom that's enormous and kind of ridiculous. Hmm. Um, but the mini boom was the thing we loved. The mini boom. It was ninety nine bucks. It came out two years ago now, maybe. Yeah. And it's a little Bluetooth speaker with a speakerphone built in. You can pair two of them together if you want to have stereo. Put them in different parts of the room, and it sounded amazing for what ended up being like an $80 street price, right? So way, way better than what we were seeing at that sub $100 price point before. Uh, they just announced the role a couple last week, actually, while we were at Comic-Con. And it's uh, it's a replacement for the Boom. The The thing that they did with the later version, so the, the Mini Boom was not waterproof. Mm-hmm. The Boom and the Mega Boom both are. So you can take them in the shower. They're, I think, IPX7 waterproof, which is the same as the Apple Watch. So a meter for 30 minutes or something, a meter for an hour. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can take them in the shower, you can take them camping, you can take them out in the field. If you, they get rained on, it's no big deal. Mm-hmm. The the mini booms were not waterproof, which was a big disappointment for people who wanted waterproof Bluetooth speakers, I guess. Wait, which was the eighty buck one then? The mini, mini boom. boom. Okay. Yeah. So they have the one that looks like it ah. looks like, yeah, it looks like a it looks like you know what it looks like? It looks like the old timey uh like speaker phone that you talk to your personal assistant if you're in the sixties or your secretary if you're in the sixties oh, yes. on your desk. Um they replaced the mini boom with the roll, which is waterproof, has all the stuff that the newer ones have. You're going to be able to connect like eight of those together. So if you and all your friends have them, you can pair them all up and make something ridiculous with them. Well, I like the, the they show the tubing picture on the on the front page. Does it actually come with the little floaty? Uh, the last time I talked to them, they didn't know if it was going to have the floaty or not. It's got to come with the floaty. Uh, they might be a, the floaty might be an additional accessory. It looks like a pill. I mean, it, you know, a it's, giant graphically, you know, it's. I'm curious. I'm really curious what the sound's going to be like on it. It sounds really good. I mean, they, the thing that the thing that amazes me consistently mm-hmm. about them is that they're able to get incredible sound out of these tiny little packages. It actually looks like it's like two conical. It's like two inverse cones, right? So one mm-hmm. is one is two convex surfaces that are glued together, and there's a speaker in between. Um, the reason they did that is so that you get a uh, 360 degree sound field out of it. Because mm. the thing they realize is that most people take these and like put them on a picnic table, put them in their backyard, uh, put them by the pool, stuff like that. That's cool. And um, this lets you get better. It's not not quite as directional. That's why uh, the other ones are cylindrical. You're going to do a review of it, or we'll anything? do a, a show and tell. I want to hear it. It's really good. I'll bring it in next week. Um, anybody else? What else? What else? People, Jeremy, you have something novel? I, yeah, I uh, I don't. I, this wasn't this was a Kickstarter, but I found it after it left Kickstarter and they were taking pre-orders. This is called the uh, L3D a Cube. It's an eight by eight by eight. RGB LED cube. Now, Will and I built a 4x4x4 Hypno Cube, and we <laughs> soldered a lot of LEDs for that. Yeah, you did a week of build for that, right? Yeah, uh, this only took you like an hour to put together. One hour for a million five hundred twelve LEDs. 512 oh, LEDs. That's right. That's really good. Uh, and that's because that these are RGB. Are, they're they're SMD, so SMD. they're surface mount LEDs, and they all they come on these tiny little thin circuit boards that have these headers on the bottom that you just punch. You just drop into this. This is very similar to like on the bottom. what installations use. Like on the BattleBots yeah. set, they had these in a, in giant arrays to make the lights that go around the bottom of the stands. And then at the top, there's these beams that hold everything so that everything lines up exactly. Um, uh, vertically. And is there an electrical connection on the top, or is it just mechanical? No, there's no electrical at the top. You, okay. It's actually powered by the um, okay. the photon, the, this new particle photon, which is the successor to the Spark Core. So it has Wi-Fi capability, but they haven't actually opened up that uh, 
that uh, capability yet because it's such a new microcontroller and it doesn't like their backend doesn't support it yet. But anyway, it's uh, it's kind of neat. You can change cool. the modes by tilting it. I was wondering. I I built it with my eight year old son and we had a, a blast because it was really easy. I mean, as somebody who's made you know kits before, I have a lot of respect for the choices they made. There's, it's very simple to build and it's well packed and it's it's a it's a really good kit. I'm, how, I'm happy with. How much is it? I don't even remember. Okay. But it was reasonably, it was reasonable. Like a few hundred bucks? Yeah. Okay. No, it was very reasonable. It's a couple uh, hundred bucks, yeah. 350 uh, Yeah, it's okay. more than the the kit that we made. Obviously, you get a lot more LEDs. And the RGB. And the RGB. Right. The drawback is because they're surface mount, they're only one side. Yeah, that's the problem. Like, if I turn side. this to the side, um, yeah. to turn it around, like, There's, you can see, if you're watching right. the video, you can't see it nearly as well. It looks best in two-thirds. Yeah. Or straight on. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And anywhere I think like, right there, it's awesome. pretty mesmerizing. It's pretty um, cool. And and once, there there is this cloud-based service where you can design your own things that isn't open yet. But yeah. once people start doing that, and it, you can download other people's designs, it's going to be pretty cool. It looks like something that should be in the background of like Logan's Run. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's, it's the, I always think of it as Star Trek computer. Those yeah. Right. Like, Wait, and you interviewed these guys, and you were yeah. saying that their whole MO is to experiment with volumetric displays. Volumetric displays. So it's not just like an LED that's toy. Right. They're actually thinking beyond this. Yes. And I think that's, that's like a neat They concept. didn't have the LED before the, the Kickstarter. Their co company was doing um, like 3D printed, uh, like encased in, in lucite 3D images, oh. like printing things to, so you can look around from all sides. So it's all about volumetric imaging and what kind of displays you can get with 512 dots. Basically. It's, it's yeah. amazing because when you stand back from this, it, it does look more like a screen than like the, the HypnoCube that we built. Mm -hmm. I'll tell Something you like what makes a big difference when you're using this or the HypnoCube is putting it in or on or around reflective surfaces. Like even yeah. the acrylic, the light bouncing off of it enhances it. Hmm. Well, or putting a mirror behind it. Mm -hmm. If you go to the, the lookingglassfactory.com is the website, they're offering a 16 by 16 by 16. Yes, one. that's all that. Wow. That's Which over 1000 bucks. Yeah, no, it's 2200 That one's 350 This one's the 16 by 16 by 16 is $2,200. You know what? Not as cool. The density, they didn't really? space out the, the, the density um, uh, that well. I didn't see it. This one is really good. Yeah, that's, yeah, that's yeah. gorgeous. 4,100 cubes uh, LEDs. Yeah. But you could do a 3D sprite on that, like a real Mario, oh, yeah. like a walking Mario in 3D. That'd be cool. <laughs> that's pretty bananas. It's like a 3D like, Fabricon like on Pixels. your desk. Yeah. Like, <laughs> right. that, that, that movie Pixels, like a spinning Pac-Man. Norm, yeah. you know my son is nuts about the Pixels trailer. Oh Jesus! I keep you can still disown him. I'm it's trying. Okay. I'm trying to correct every time he admires it. I try to correct him and say, No, no, this movie is horrible. <laughs> just, I just I haven't don't seen enjoy the trailer. It. I refuse to watch the trailer because it looks so profound. Player for the planet. No, make him watch the Water Boy two about six times and then see if he still wants to see it. Um, Norm, anything for you? Uh, still use that pebble. I'm like I'm like a month in now. Um, Man, this this pebble time. Not, pebble time. Sorry, it really does, did not need to have that color display, uh, and whatever the compromise they made to use this display, I did not like. Like it's it's tough, tough to use, tough to look at from any other angle than directly on with the light at a right angle. Right here. This is the. This is good. That's optimal. Not good. Not good. You're gonna have not to drive good. this during the video. Not good. Because there's no way I yeah. can manage this. No, this is good. <laughs> <laughs> um, anybody who's using Apple Music still? Oh, yeah. I like it. Still on the Apple Music Yeah, feed? Yeah, I thought, yeah. Again, I'm, I'm really intrigued by the whole idea of programming one station. Uh, so I think Beats 1, it's been a success. It's pretty cool. Uh, the, and the service has been adequate. I mean, I'd, I've been looking forward to it just so I can control um, an online music library with Siri. I, and interestingly, does it work? I have I haven't been I've been traveling, so I haven't actually done that, which oh, okay. is what I do in the car. Um, so I'm, I'm I'll try that after the show. But uh, 
Yeah, I like Apple Music. It works for me. Okay. What? You don't you don't use it? You don't like no, it? No, no, I like it. I thought it was pretty good. Yeah. Solid. Um, I guess that'll do it for us this week. Patrick Norton, people can find anything. Sorry for you testing. We're, we're bingo on time. Uh, Unraid 6 and uh, the Logitech Wireless Touch Keyboard K400 Plus. Which one? Is that the one with the weird slot or is that the key, the PC one? That's the PC one. Oh, that's a nice keyboard. Has the touchpad good? Uh, yes. I just was amazed that the original K400 had all like over 7,000 reviews on Amazon.com with an average of like 4.3. That, that was one, mind-blowing. That $25 Microsoft Media Keyboard mm-hmm. also is the same. Is this Bluetooth or does this have a dongle? Uh, this has one of their proprietary, their proprietary dongles. dongles. Yeah, yeah, that's the one thing I wish that they had changed on both that and the Microsoft version. Yeah, they're not going to do that. Nope. Techthing.com, uh, avxl.com, tested.com. Very good. Jeremy Williams, at Jareware on Twitter. At Jareware on any, Twitter. Any product-related news? No. Norman Chan? Um, at Nin Chan. I'm, I'm Will stuff. Smith. <laughs> uh, today's outro comes to you from, let's say, Sean. Uh, I haven't listened to this yet. I forgot to do this before we started the show. So here it is. See you guys next week. Hi there. I didn't see you. That's it. I got excited. It happens to everybody. <laughs> I don't have any idea where that's from. Yeah, okay. See you guys next week. Megabots. That's my bet.